My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. I think we're ready. Yeah, we read 38 this week. The Arrival. It's an axe book. Did you guys like it? I really liked it. Me too. It was so good, right? It was so, it was such a relief. It yes. was so good. <laughs> right, so one, it was really good, but two, such a relief. <laughs> Definitely the best since 33. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was as good as 33 in my book, but it was like right up there in that like yeah. tier of good Animorph books yeah, that we so. haven't hit since then. And it's it surprised me because it wasn't one that I was like that excited no. about coming back to. Although when I looked at my reviews from oh. my <laughs> I really liked this one. Of so, course you did. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. It's very good. It is a little bit what happens if an Animorphs ghostwriter reads a Le Carre book. And then does <laughs> the Lake Carre book? Jean Le Carre, he wrote a lot of. Oh, Lake Carre, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is <laughs> just this book. <laughs> well, because it it has the same like um, I think you would say the same story core as a normal mm-hmm. Animorphs book, mm-hmm. and there is like action stuff in it, mm-hmm. but it's a mystery story. Yeah, like the stakes are all about who the Andalites are, and not at all about like will mm-hmm. they succeed at their assassination mission. Exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah, because what most of the book is about is not something we're invested in. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or at least most of the action. Yeah, we saw, we've seen them do this kind of thing before with David, but like, this is a very different deployment of it Mm -hmm. as sort of this creating Uh this spy infiltration situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very good spy novel. Uh, I want to hear, I I want to talk about it, but yeah, let's do the plot summary. Okay. Okay, so uh, it starts with an opening caper, which we haven't seen in a while. Uh, the Animorphs are on a rescue mission. They're going to save Mr. King, who is Eric the Chi's father, who has been kidnapped by the Yurks. And unfortunately, this turns out to have been a surprisingly good trap from Visor yeah. 3. Great job, him. Uh, after a very brutal fight, the Animorphs end up kind of trapped in this hallway, surrounded by hork troops and taxons. And then suddenly... Four Andalites, including one female, appear and fight off the Yurk forces. Everyone escapes, and the Animorphs regroup to discuss what happened. And they really just aren't sure whether they can trust these new Andalites, because the last time they saw Andalites was on Lyra, and it did not go well. So Tobias and Axe go to the mall, and they meet the female Andalite, Estrid, who has morphed into a human and been overwhelmed by the flavor of jelly beans. Beans! Beans! <laughs> uh, Tobias and Axe get her out of there and then arrange for Jake to meet her commander. And they discover that this is only a single ship with four Andalites and not a harbinger for the fleet, unfortunately. So there's some like weird interpersonal dynamics between the four Andalites and also Axe and Astrid have a tail fight and he has a crush on her. The Animorphs seem to get into this massive fight about what to do and they all storm off in different directions, disbanding our troop. Mm -hmm. Oh no. We're good. The end. (sighs) So sad. 
And then the oh, rest well. of the book is mostly just a one-man play with Axe and me trying to figure out what is happening with these Andalites. Uh, the weird inter-Andalite dynamics continue with some additional confusion based on the fact that Estrid is a woman. We'll talk about it. Mm. Um, the four Andalites include Gonrad, the pilot and commander, Arbat, a spy, Ayla, a sniper, and Estrid, whose purpose is unknown. But their mission is to assassinate Visser Three. Or at least that's what they tell Axe. Estrid and Axe spend some additional time together, including seeing Rachel destroy a McDonald's, weirdly. The Andalites decide to attack a meeting of the Sharing, where Visser Three will be speaking so that they can assassinate him. But instead of actually assassinating Visser Three, it all goes awry, and they all almost die in a battle with the hork troops. Aloth gets seriously injured, and Arbat kills him. Then uh, they all get back to the Andalite ship to regroup. Axe and Mr. King hack into the computer system and discover that Gonrod, Aloth, and Arbat have all been identified as killed in battle aboard their ship. Uh, and Estrid has been wiped from the Andalite records entirely. Then Axe finds Estrid's secret lab aboard the ship, where she is concocting a virus that is in theory, deadly to Yerks, but possibly also deadly to humans. And she and Axe get into this whole argument about whether that's okay and what the purpose of it is, and it's very intensely philosophy-based, and it's kind of great. Um, then uh, Arbot comes in and traps them in like a laser cage, takes the virus, and he goes off to the Yerk pool. But the Animorphs, of course, who are faking this whole time, show up and they rescue Axe and Estrid. And then they all go to the Yerk pool. They get into a big fight. They stop Arbat and the virus. And then Gonrod and Estrid go back to the Andalites and Axe stays with the Animorphs. And I think that's all. Yeah. That was a really good summary. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you left out my favorite part. But that's okay. Oh, no. We'll circle back to it. Okay, good. There were so many good parts. It was also my favorite part. (laughs) So did you guys buy the Animorphs disbanding? No. So You're so much smarter than I am. (laughs) I was concerned. Yeah. But, so there's this whole thing where in that first disbanding scene, Mm -hmm. where you find out that Estrid was there in Morph. But there's also a suspicious bird. And later Mm -hmm, you find mm -hmm. out that the suspicious bird is Arbat still in Morph. Mm -hmm. And so my memory of the scene was like, oh, Estrid is here in Bird Morph. So like as I was reading it, I was kind of like, okay, so like, what are they doing? What are they doing? And then when she's not the bird, I was like, oh, this like something is off here. So like I kind of knew. (laughs) And then like every clue, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure... Like, I knew that the Animorphs were faking it, but I wasn't sure if Axe was in on it for a yeah. while, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's pretty convincing. I want to talk yeah. about how good the various, you know, Animorphs are at acting out their breakup. Yeah. So that whole, there's like at least like a chapter of maybe two of them, like, fighting about this, the Animorphs all fighting. And I kept flagging things where I was like, I can't believe Cassie's saying this. I can't believe they're portraying Rachel this way. Like, I, like wow, this is really hitting them all hard. And then I got to the end of it, I was like, wait, wait, is this, I have a vague memory. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't immediately suspect it was because of 37, Mm. the one that has unfortunately been stricken from the record. So I know you guys don't know what I'm talking about. This is the first book where Rachel kicks a bucket. It's not the second (laughs) book in a row. Obviously. (laughs) Anyway, I just, I feel like recent events, which I don't know what they could have been, but have given me 
like reason to believe that maybe sometimes the characterization of the Animorphs will be imperfect. Mm -hmm. And so that lent the scene enough credibility, Mm -hmm. which is actually, I don't think was like an intentional series manipulation, but was also kind of genius. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I buy this so much more than I would have because of other recent things. Yeah. I think that's true, but I also think that if if the stuff in quote unquote thirty seven had been written like this, it would have it would have been better, right? Like this, I think, was a more plausible version with like yes, a little more certainly with a little bit more motivation behind what the people yeah. are saying. Mm-hmm. I feel like the animorphs react in a more realistic. way. It was actually just, better, even the, though it was fake. The, yeah. the thing that the thing that rings false about it is that they all quit at once and get to, like, the most extreme version of themselves. Yes, that's what I was going to say. In a row, yeah. right. It's like, that's And also, not like, the book had been written well enough up to that point. Mm-hmm. Or, I, like, one of my notes is, like, thank goodness that, like, we're back at a level of writing where I disbelieve this scene yeah. and I'm willing to give it the credit. Right. Yeah. It did very much feel like the most extreme versions of each of them yes. were showing up for this fake fight. Do but, we want to talk about it? Yeah, let's just talk go about, about it. Right here. It, it is... Very difficult to stage this kind of thing. Yeah. They all do a very good job. They really do. It was actually the grackle. It made me think that this scene was fake because the Mm. first... Like right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, there's a group of grackles and one appeared not to be hungry. Instead of striding and circling, he stood to the side, staring about him with an unwinking eye. And I just made a note that was, this grackle is an andalite. Pay attention, my children. Yes. I was like, come on. Why aren't you all in morphusing thought speak, you idiots? And then I realized then, like, they were not idiots. They right. had anticipated that because right. they're super impressive in this they're book. They're very yeah. good. But this whole oh, chapter so, so, but amazing. did you, even after you find out Astrid was a bunny, you were still thinking yeah. grackle is fake? Yeah. They all have morphs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know Axe was in on it until mm. they went to the gardens. And he's like, I didn't expect to be interrupted. And I was like, ooh, ooh, maybe he knows. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you get the complete confirmation when Astrid's like, I keep seeing a red-tailed hawk. And Axe <laughs> is like, those are very common. Right. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Pay no all attention. Same. Tobias, get out of here. Your cover's blown. <laughs> so, yes, do we want to talk about... So my my take on their breakup is that the Animorphs all are really good at playing the, like, mighty version of themselves. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because, like, I think at first Cassie is, like, so they find out, oh, the Andalites are here to assassinate Mr. 3. And then Cassie's, like, take out of the gate. It's like, revenge is always wrong. We should never do anything only because of revenge. I am very mad yeah, at her I making this choice. Yeah, I that. I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense with her recent moral stances. Well, right. And I was like, but what about 36? Like, this yeah. is so inconsistent with her wanting revenge for the yes. experimentation on the Horkadir. And what about 30, where she was like, she was upset that Marco was going to be involved with killing his mom, but she was okay with killing Visor 1 and Visor 3. Yeah. Right. And then and then Cassie turns into this thing. It's like, oh, you know, like, where there's life, there's hope. You know, like, you can't uh, that, choose yeah. death or whatever. And well, then Marco's this- like, ha, that's ridiculous. And I was like, Marco, you're the one who gave us where there's life. <laughs> If there's hope back in book five how could you turn your back and then i was like okay i got it yeah well cassie had this thing where like better to be a controller than dead and i was like this is the opposite of what they've always said yeah. mm-hmm. i was like has she changed her mind i guess she didn't say that in book six but it turned out it was fake and the other okay the other great thing about this scene is that let's back up why are they doing this they're doing this so that the andalites will believe that axe Yes, so the Andalites won't be suspicious that the Animorphs are spying on them, probably. Right. Yeah. So, is there anything else that they are doing? Is the stuff they're saying 
supposed to matter? Like, are they trying to make the Andalites feel guilty by saying all this stuff about how, <laughs> oh, the Andalites don't care about us? Like, Marco's probably also trying to do that. He's the one who has a lot of that stuff. No, they're, I mean, yes. But, but like, is that strategic or are they just channeling what's on their minds? Because it's kind of true. <laughs> I don't know if it's strategic. It might be a, like, can't hurt to do it. Because they don't know at this point that the yeah. Andalites, these Andalites are not sent by Andalite War Command. Yeah. So they might think that there's a, I think there's hope. They yeah. must. So it's, to me, this is a really, this is the kernel of truth in the scene that makes mm-hmm. it sort of plausible, right? It's mm-hmm. that the Animorphs are like, oh, the Andalites have arrived. And Jake has this moment earlier, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, where like, Gonrod's like, I'm the most important Andalite for light years. And Jake's <laughs> like, oh no. Like, wait, <laughs> that means there's not somebody more important, uh-huh. like, about to show right. up and help us. Yep. And so here they're like, okay, so the Andalites finally arrived. It's what we've been waiting for. The whole mm-hmm. point of this was just to delay till the Andalites come. Yeah. And it turns out they don't care at all. Right? And so that, despite the fact that they're all doing this, like, acting and like, oh, haha, we're all BFFs, Animorphs forever, mm-hmm. it must be so disappointing to, yes. I think it to is have genuinely, to go through yeah. and, like, process this fact. Right? And so... It also means the fact that they are still fighting is like they're now in it for its own sake. They're not yeah, going to give up. Yeah. They, they have no reason to believe the Andalites will ever come and save them. And the Animorphs right. are still willing to fight. And Ooh, that is yes. amazing. It's very impressive. And it's they talk about how tired they are and the yeah, weight. Yeah, a lot of it's true. This. Yeah, they're really just tapping into their own feelings about this battle. And mm-hmm. as you said, you know, bringing it to the extreme. I don't think that it was strategic, but it turns out to be strategic that they do, that they have this particular fight because we learn towards the end that one of the reasons Arbat is willing to infect the Yerks with a virus that may well wipe out all of humanity is because he thinks that humans are not worth the loss of more galactic life because they are unwilling to carry their weight in the fight for freedom and eager to give up. And so seeing, that's sort of reverse strategic almost. Yeah, like they oh, didn't yeah. they that's don't know that. That's actually a really good point. But yeah. that's kind of a miscalculation. Yeah, yeah, so once he sees them saying, "Oh, well the Analytes are coming, we'll just give up." He's like, "See?" Yeah. Um, cuz I do think of, I think that there's a large part of that that's like, "Let's make them think we're weak so that they aren't on guard against us." Right. Right. And it's such a fascinating miscalculation, because like you were saying, they still probably think that, like, they don't totally understand why these Andalites came alone, Mm -hmm. but they still probably think that it's more legitimate than it turns out to be. Like, what a weird decision by the Andalites, not like, this group of Andalites went rogue. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, I I think, like, Marco's whole thing, like, we've been fighting to slow the Yerks down until the Andalites show up, does feel like it's from an earlier part of the series, Mm -hmm. because... I think they certainly haven't been proceeding on the assumption the Andalites will be here any minute. Like, yeah. that hasn't been the thing in a while. And especially in Visser, I think, do they learn? I think I guess they don't learn that the Andalite fleet may or may not come to Earth. I don't think we see them learning that. Because I think they're already gone. Like, that's after they get... Yeah, I think the Anadi system stuff only address hears about that. Okay, yeah. So maybe they don't know about that. But yeah, it, this feels like... Like, there's probably still been a small part of them that's hoping for that. And, Ted, mm-hmm. you're right that, like, now they've probably given up on that. Yeah. yeah I, I think, because it up. takes me back to, to Visser, where, like, I sort of feel like that conversation that Marco has with Ava is kind of like, like, if the Elmas showed up and said, I can take you all away from here, mm. now they would all definitely say no. They're like, we mm-hmm. still have to fight. Right. And I yes. feel like this is kind of the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And just what a burden, particularly on Jake. Yeah. Like, the rest of them have him as a little bit of, like, a decision-making buffer, and mm-hmm. he just, mm-hmm. yeah, is bearing all of this. We should talk more about Jake, too. I do want to talk about Jake? Well, I want to talk more about this scene, just because, well, there are a couple things. So, they're all really good actors, however. <laughs> Even Cassie, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that, too, but um, Rachel is, of course... The best at acting. Yes. Um, I just, the thing is, I <laughs> That's was like. That's a nice way to interpret it. I like that. Uh, well, it, okay. So it's, it's completely fabulous. She, uh, throws Marco to the floor, right? He does this great, like, little cheek slap thing, and then she completely, you know, throws him across the room. She kicks a bucket, traumatizing a bunch of the barnyard animals. And then on her way out, she's like, you know, I'm. No more Geneva Convention. No more Geneva Convention. She punches a lantern (laughs) with her bare hands and then hisses at them as she leaves the barn. I love it so much. Rachel is the best. And it's even better that she's like just, she's just reveling in this chance to like do her monologue, her evil. I'm going full Mighty Rachel monologue and like peace out. It's amazing. This is, this is such a better interpretation than I had because my interpretation was like, Oh man, Rachel's really close to the edge if she can channel this in a fake fight. But just her being a really good actress is a much better interpretation. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Well, so there's a there's a really nice moment. We don't get a lot of the Animorphs, except maybe Jake and Axe, like outside of because they're faking a lot of the time. Yeah. But at the end, when they're going back to the Yerk pool, Marco's like, "Oh man, like I thought we'd never have to go back or something." And I keep saying, we, yeah. right? I keep saying, and then Rachel's like, "Well, maybe you should say it, and you'll feel better." <laughs> say it Which again. is like, it's so <laughs> genuine. It's like this really nice, genuine Marco Rachel supporting each other moment. It's like that's who Rachel really is. This is who she's able to pretend to be. Exactly. Like, this violent yeah. like person is inside her, but it's not who she is. Yeah, absolutely. And and Cassie's reason for quitting. Also well acted. Her yeah. reasoning is almost too good. Did you have any yes. thoughts about this, Grace? I did. I really, unsurprisingly, quite liked Cassie's uh, response here, yeah. which was, if this war is unwinnable, how do we justify killing Quirk Bajir? Basically, they're prisoners of war, innocent victims. I was like, what a great point, Cassie. <laughs> good call. Um, but I, I do have another headcanon about the Animorphs and their acting abilities, which is, later on, they're observing the Animorphs. Um, it's like... Is it maybe Marco and Jake in Cassie's barn? Let me yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jake is hiding in the stall. Yes. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Tom's been picking on me all afternoon. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> then fight back, Cassie cried. Marco snickered. Whoa, what happened to our resident nonviolence advocate? And then, so, like, this, this in this scene, I feel like it's a little played out. Like, they're struggling to act. And it... <laughs> um, so, I've just imagined this scene as Cassie... Trying really hard and not managing to act well, yeah. but still passing because the Andalites mm-hmm. don't really know right. how mm-hmm. humans work, right? So, so Cassie's, what about Rachel? Cassie cried, her voice breaking. Marco yawned. Listen, if she shows at the beach tomorrow, I'll talk to her. Now, why spoil her fun? Cassie stood for a moment, shaking with fury. You jerks! She screamed. Get out! I just imagine, like, basically Marco and Jake completely losing it because Cassie's doing yeah. a terrible job of being angry. But, like, it's good enough. Well, I'm curious. So the end of the scene where the Animorphs all split up, Cassie actually has a tear roll down her cheek. Mm-hmm. She is probably not someone who can, like, make herself cry just by, like, acting or whatever. Like, she's Aww. a very bad actress. So, like, she must have, like, actually gotten herself very upset yeah. and, like, gotten into that headspace. I mean, this is a very intense scene 
between all of them. Yeah. But in particular, the the fight between Rachel and Cassie mm-hmm. is really tough. I mean, it starts with the two of them arguing about the purpose of revenge, whether mm-hmm. it is, as Cassie says, pointless and immoral, or just another word for justice, as Rachel says. But then as they're storming off, you know, Rachel as she's yelling at them, says, I'm through with Cassie's hypocrisy. And she jerks her arm away from Cassie, who's trying to calm her down. She breaks this glass. And then Cassie's first thing is she takes a broom and begins to sweep up the glass. And even though they're acting, I can see Cassie feeling enough of that um, in a a sort of pointed way to bring a tear to her eye. I mean, I do wonder... Like, we don't really see a lot of the aftermath of this scene for them because we don't see a lot of them, as mm-hmm. we said in uh-huh. most of the book. Like, is this tough for them? Do they have to, like, do some relationship maintenance to just, like, keep from feeling like that was a little too real? Well, yeah. yeah. What if, or, or what if it's the other way around, which is, like, they actually had a big fight? Oh, they're just imitating oh, it? Yeah. Like, like they probably did work through the, like, well, the Andalites aren't coming. You right. Know, like, they must have had a big conversation before this scene. Right. Yeah. Right. Probably so when they were flying back like from the woods. Yeah. One of the other false notes in this scene is that Tobias pieces out when, like, Rachel is clearly having a tough time. Yeah. Like, Tobias wouldn't leave Rachel yeah. like this. Yeah. I think at that point I was, I, I had already been like, hmm, it's probably not. I actually, I was suspicious of this whole scene and then when Tobias leaves, when it was like, this is a ruse to trick the Andalites or it had better be. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm very upset about it. Yeah. Good call. Well spotted, Gray. I definitely, when I read this as a kid, did not know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every time, yeah, like, I fell for all of these things. Yeah. Like, going back to the, you know, Jake jumping off of Rachel as a flea in the second book. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, Jake's still here. <laughs> I don't when Cassie think... was petting her, Jake was a flea. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think I fell for it in 22, in the third David book, like, when I first read it. Like, oh, like, that Rachel. Was too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was too clear. Oh, gosh. I don't, I don't remember. I, I don't yeah. know for sure. But this one, this one, I, I have, I have proof that I did. <laughs> I think I knew, I knew then just because I knew there were only three David books and I was 100% certain that David would be eliminated. By oh, the the yeah. David okay. Books. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So do we want to talk about Jake? Cause I want please, to talk about Jake. Can we please talk about Jake? You guys, Jake standing up to Andalites is it's, my new favorite thing in the world. It's yes. the best thing. It's right? so good. Yeah. Like why? Why is it so good, Jake? <laughs> Oh man, I I mean, it's, is it just like it is just, it just is. Like standing up to like the imperial like space empire? That's redundant. Standing up to these like <laughs> imperial colonists who don't care at all about like you know basic humanity. But it's also is it like, like that they're the underdogs? Like yeah, it's also like Jake just being like supremely cool, and like the Animorphs just having developed into this really, really powerful force. And, like, Jake is totally confident at the head of that. Mm-hmm. And we saw it in 33 when he stands up to Visser 3. It's like, I don't scare easy. And he's, like, holding the Visser's wrist, and it's great. Yeah. But to me, I don't know. Yeah, he is he is super cool, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, he meets what he thinks are, like, the people coming for like who are going to be responsible for saving earth from the yurks mm-hmm. and he's like i know about your war crimes right like <laughs> yeah. we will negotiate as yeah. equals right it's it's, it's like, amazingly I will not bold tell you and impressive how many 
I'm not prepared to discuss my forces with you. He's just super chill about it. My favorite part. My favorite part. So he's like, perhaps we should begin by finding out exactly what we can count on in terms of Andalite support. Mm-hmm. And Conrad's like, support? You child. You are an untrained human child playing at war. We are highly trained warriors. You and your band, whoever they may be, will cease to fight. That is an order. I don't take orders, Prince Jake snapped. I give them. And now this meeting is over. And he walks away. Yes. And I was like, this yes. is the best moment that's ever happened. It's so, so good. Cool. So like, it's actually, now I'm like, I'm a little disappointed on Jake's behalf that the stakes <laughs> are way lower than he thinks they are because yeah. Gunrod isn't nobody, right? Like, I mean, at this point, he does sort of know that because he's like, he found that out at the beginning of the conversation. Like, well, the fleet isn't there. He knows but, the fleet isn't there. Oh, but, true. He doesn't know that Gunrod right. is like, gone rogue. Yeah. Right, right, right. I guess it's a good, like, I don't know, practice run or something, right? Like... And he is fully capable of this. He doesn't need any more practice. He is good to go. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, and he he talks about the war crimes. He's like, we are we are in command here. This is a human planet. We know what you did to the Horpajir. We know how you saved them. Like, yeah. no. Which was so good for a number of reasons, not uh-huh. least as a foreshadowing for what the rest of the, yes. how the book is going to end. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So good. I was, uh-huh. That was a very good scene. And... He's able to negotiate from a position of power, not just because he's an incredibly mature mm-hmm. commander, but also because he has his people there. And, yeah. he, you know, he was told to come alone and he's like, I don't take orders from you. I'm here. But also at that exact moment, uh, Cassie is a pit viper, has, uh-huh. is wound around Aloth's uh, legs. And then Arbot has Marco as a cobra between his legs so they can't pull their shredders on Jake because there are snakes about to bite them just like that. You know what? Good. This is the real megamorph, Gray. This is the megamorph. You're so like them together is just so powerful. And like Jake can channel that and just stand up to this. You know, as we've talked about human bodies, not really many natural weapons, certainly not against a creature with a tail blade. But he just stands there totally cool. He doesn't have a gun. This guy has like a, you know, phaser or whatever. What is it? What are the shredder? Shredder. This guy has a shredder. It's also, it's like, it's such an awesome reflection of book 18, right? Which is Mm -hmm. nominally the same axe plot where he like gives up his allegiance to the Animorphs. And then the lesson he learns is like, no, actually Jake is my prince and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to betray him again. And then, and then here he's like, it's not only is he totally on Jake's side in this first encounter with the the Andalites? But then he's willing, without, again, knowing the extent to which Gonrod is not, like, a legit Andalite leader, he goes and pledges his allegiance to an Andalite and lies to his face about yeah. it, right? He's like, I have given up my allegiance to Jake, and now I will pledge myself to you. Complete and total lie. Yep. And Axe is, like, willing to do it. And it's just, it's so amazing that, I guess, the, the great thing about it is that in 18, it's like, an external struggle of, like, where do I belong? Uh-huh. And here, he is completely unwavering in his duty mm-hmm. to the Animorphs, but he still has the, like, internal conflict of, like, I feel badly reflected in Estrid and the other Andalites, mm-hmm. yes. right? And, like, yes. he still has a crush on her, and he still uh-huh. kind of wishes that he could go be with his family. Uh-huh. But he, it, there's never... Um, his loyalty is never in question. Yeah, there's never yeah. a question yeah. he's going to be disloyal. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's really good to see. There's so many satisfying moments when, you know, the other Andalites are ordering around, like before the whole spy thing starts, where he's like, no, Jake is my prince. I answer mm-hmm. my, my, an Andalite warrior's allegiance is to his prince. Jake is my prince. Like, it's yeah. just 
rock solid from him. Mm-hmm. In in the scene we were just talking about when all the animorphs break up, when Jake like it, they do like a little goodbye handshake, Aww. and Axe is like, "I will still follow you," and he's like, "No, I release you from your oath or whatever." Ugh. So pained. No, it's like too real. Yeah, and yeah, and even the like, he's like, I know, like humans do handshakes, and he's like, I think Jake forgot that my fingers are really weak, but like, I really tried, I really tried to give him Aww. a firm handshake. I missed that. That's amazing. <laughs> oh man, and he, the way he stands up for humanity is like it's never a question for him. The, the way Axe does. Yes, sorry. Yeah. The way Axe stands up for humanity. It's never a question for him that, like, yeah, maybe it's worth the risk to do mm-hmm. this virus that might wipe out humans as well as Yerkes. Yeah, I don't know if we want to get to that scene, but that scene yeah. is so good. It was... Yeah. Should we go to that? Do we, have, do we have more to say about the other stuff? Oh, yeah, I don't know. We can go to that. That sounds great. Let's skip to that one. It's my big issues section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Andalites are so the Americans. Mm-hmm. Just 100%. Uh, yeah, say more, it's, say more. They have this, Esther has this whole thing, like, she's like, the universe is a vast place. We cannot afford to be sentimental about one species, which, first of all, okay, and then how are you sentimental about yourselves? But okay. And she, okay, she loves the equations, da, da, da. She's like, we can destroy the Yerks. We will have absolute power throughout the galaxy. We can destroy the Yerks, but not only the Yerks. We can stop all wars, all destruction, annihilate all enemies of decency and goodness before they can carry out their evil. Esther, if you are prepared to kill everyone, anyone that opposes you, I asked her, how are you different from the Yerks? We are Andalites. Like, that is 100%. I mean, I don't want to get too much into American foreign policy, but like, so thing like, oh, no, you like enemies of freedom, like, do terrible things. It's like, well, we did some terrible things, uh, but we did it for freedom. And we're Americans. So it's okay. Like, we're allowed to do that stuff. Just when elder people do it, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So we have to stop all them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're totally the Americans. Totally agree with you. But I also like the, I like that the Andalites have a, a more, it, there's, it's like a deeper reflection of kind of the fissures in American society and self-image yeah. because of the way, like what normally when you meet a group of Andalites, it's like the humility from an Andalite type <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. And that, you know, maybe one's a nerd and one's a fighter, but they're all part of this, this like macho soldiery culture, right? Mm-hmm. And then even Aldrea is like to find an opposition to that. Mm-hmm. But here you have kind of the same people, but it's like, oh, now the Andalites, they have this warrior culture, but they also have like a CIA. And you mm-hmm. have, you know, these are like, they're actually, you know, people who have been put in jail and have been released. And like, mm-hmm. Aloth yeah. is like this kind of like hardened assassin type, but he also is just like basically willing to dish with axe because he's like oh yeah you're like a cool soldier that i can like talk to and like <laughs> i didn't really have respect for that these other things and like our bat's kind of weird right like yeah. there's like a lot of depth that's not just based on their personality but based on like in yes. like society you're seeing bigger reflections of the science part expected. of society and, yeah. and like axe obviously sees the humanity of humans <laughs> but he also has this thing that's also very american of like well we used the big weapon that killed a bunch of people once and we can never do it again. Mm, right. Yeah. Which is like, you know, so he's, he's, uh, he's like, he's like a more naive kind of American in that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he hasn't been around his people much. Like, I mean, he's not an adult, but like all of his maturing experiences have been with humans and he has still hasn't been exposed to like most of what, Andalite society is like. Mm. He was so young when he left, and it seems like really naive when he left. 
Yeah, and I like, I also like that the Andalites are not, um, like, Arbat is is a villain in the mm-hmm. end, but I like that his perspective and Estrid's perspective is, like, way more nuanced than you usually get from Animorphs villains. Yeah. Like, we haven't really talked about mm-hmm. the kill all humans thing, which is, like, not really that nuanced a question, <laughs> but... And also, she thinks she might have made it so that's not going to kill all humans, you know? Right, 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 right. I have a quick science sidebar. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So the way that he knows she is a scientist is she makes kind of an offhanded comment about how being in human morph is very distracting. You cannot even concentrate on... Yes, great. What is this word? Plint <laughs> <laughs> conarhythmic physics. That sounds perfect. Just go with that. Uh, so a couple things. <laughs> this is apparently some, you know... Subparticle fusion, super smart, whatever. Oh, no, no, no. Fusion, particle fusion is what she got like shoehorned into. It's the easy subject. Right. At the academy that, like, because she was a girl, they made her study the, like, particle fusion or whatever. Wait, I thought, wait, <laughs> is that what the deal was? I can't remember what the Aren't specific... Andalite women supposed to be the scientists? Oh, I crap, you're so right. Stuff. So, okay, yeah, anyway. I think that that's what we learned we can, before. Yeah, but in this, what that, it yeah. says is, at yeah. university, they treated me as a joke. So, of course, they forced me into subparticle fusion. And she's, like, very annoyed about this. Because she's a she's a genius, right? Yeah. She's super, super smart. And one way that we know she's super smart is that apparently she's doing physics, but also biology. Which yes. I would like to point out. Not the same. <laughs> but isn't physics the foundation of everything, Ray? No. Non-overlapping magisteria here. <laughs> Just because you're very good at plint conarhythmic physics does not mean you're going to be very good at prion viruses. I also, so the reason that I'm doing Science Corner is I have a quick note on prion viruses from a virologist. <laughs> uh, there is no such thing as a prion virus. This is a ridiculous combination of words, and here's why. A prion is a protein that has misfolded in some way. Mm-hmm. And because of the way that it has misfolded, when it touches a similar protein, a protein with the same amino acid string, it forces that protein to also misfold. Okay. And so that's what makes it bad. Mm-hmm. Um, in most cases, when a protein misfolds, they just kind of dissolve. Like the oh, okay. you know hydrophobic stuff is on the outside instead of on the inside, vice oh. versa, and they just kind of just dissolve. But what makes a prion difficult is that it forces the other proteins to do the same thing. And so you can get prion diseases like Crutchfield-Jacobs, uh-huh. which because of the way that these proteins like all misfold in the same direction, you basically get holes in your brain, right? This very, is fascinating very fascinating and terrifying. Wow. But... A protein is one string of amino acids in Mm -hmm. some complicated structure. A virus is much bigger. It's a lot of proteins, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. those two things are not the same size. Okay, but wouldn't you have a virus that would create, uh, like, that would cause one of your proteins to fold in this way that would go through your body? But... (laughs) Could it be like a soup dumpling where the virus has prions inside it and then... When you bite into it, all the prions get out. (laughs) Amazing, and I think a very accurate description of what a virus is. Not at all. Um, Wait, so viruses are not the same as dumplings, is what you're saying? Weirdly, I do not think viruses are the same as dumplings, in that dumplings, as far as I know from the soup that I've had, (laughs) 
do not create more dumplings within the soup, <laughs> but instead and eat them, they go away. <laughs> You've been having the wrong kind of soup, not but okay. Um, so it would be, it's very weird for this to be a combination of phrases. Thus ends <laughs> Science Corner. <laughs> Brian Virus, not a thing. Wow. Fantastic. That was amazing. Welcome. Also, side note, I really want to get, no, I'm not going to say it because I'm going to do it. Okay, let's move on. I'll tell you later, Ted. <laughs> I don't I don't care whether it, what it is or whether it happens. I just love that Gray will now be anticipating it. <laughs> I, I know that, so, 37 was such an elaborate and incredibly wonderful prank, as we mm-hmm. have discussed, and I love it very much. But... An issue that I fear we, we may well face in the rest of the series is my inability to know for sure what actually is happening. So the first time <laughs> that she says, she when, when Estrid says plant counterrhythmic physics, I made a note to myself that says, Jenny, did you make up this word? Because <laughs> I'm worried now every time we have a good book oh, that you have okay. written it. I... I feel like there ne- there does need to be something to address this. I mean, I do not currently have plans to write any more books. Can I? Should I promise that I won't? Like, would that work? I mean, you guys can promise anything you want. I don't. You still might not believe it. It's true. Well, it's like those um, disclosures that people put on their website, like. To date, the FBI has not asked us for information about our users, and then one day that, inf- that goes away. They're not allowed to announce that it's happened, but they do have to remove the disclosure. Ah. So I think it's safe for you to say, I'm not planning to write Anamorph's book, and it's on gray if she doesn't if ask she you wants every to keep time. Asking. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not planning to write you any more Anamorph's books. Okay, good. I'll check every time. <laughs> just, just to check. I did not write this one. It turns out Plint Counterrhythmic Physics, by the way, only a thing in Animorphs. Yeah, it sounds like a made-up word. Yeah. I like it, though. I like that word. I don't know. I thought the, like, tiny yada, yada, whatever the hell was also <laughs> yada made up. Bites. And it turns out I, I was also wrong. So uh, <laughs> It's worth looking it up. It's so true. Can we talk about the quandary? Yes. Because I think... Kill all humans or not quandary? Yeah, it's a good moral quandary, and I think Is it's it? really good Is it? characterization of Estrid and Arbat. It well, feels like it's it. not even a moral quandary. Like, don't do it. <laughs> it seems really obvious. I guess it's, I guess that's just me taking a stance on one half of the moral quandary. I guess that's fair. I mean, yes. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair stance to take, but. Well, so the argument is like, think big, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. worth killing all humans if we also kill all Yerks, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of what, that's mm-hmm. kind of what they're mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. And Estrid's even saying like, well, look, you know, with a little more time, I can guarantee that I'm only killing the Yerks, and then wouldn't it be okay? Right. That so, is that is a more interesting moral question. Mm-hmm. Like, right. if you could just kill all Yerks. Like, we were talking in Horkvajir Chronicles, like, you have two species on the planet. I mean, you're more two, but, you know, if you're choosing between these two species, one of which is enslaving and, you know, causing all of these problems, and the other of which is an innocent host species, which do you try to kill... At least at this point, they're making the right choice between those two, you know, aiming for the Yerks, like, mm-hmm. at finally. Right. Yeah, but... Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not... Um, I think it's pretty clear where we stand on genocide, <laughs> and also, like, both in real life and in the context of the series. Sure. So maybe not that interesting to talk about. But the thing that makes it interesting to me is the sort of, like, um, 
Estra's point of view is that she is like basically a super high achieving grad student who has been taken in by the Andalite military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And she is like, I can create the perfect technological solution to war. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's like, and because I am good and have good intentions, mm-hmm. it's okay to create these things. Yeah. Because like definitely other people won't use them in a way that is bad, right? You uh-huh. will only use them when it is totally justified. And, you know, in because we also happen to be the best and I've never learned anything about bad stuff Andalites have done. Right. Right. Which is very realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a little bummed that they folded in this and it will probably kill all humans because it is a much more interesting moral question if it's just this will kill all Yerks. And I really mm-hmm. want to see the Animorphs debate that. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I, I can predict how some of the Animorphs would react to that. I think they would ultimately choose against it, mm-hmm. but I think it would be a really intense debate, and I think Marco and Rachel would want to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so Axe says, if the price of freedom is the loss of an entire sentient species, then perhaps the price is too high. But interestingly, he's talking specifically about humans there yeah. and, and not about the Yerks. I thought, well, that's a little... Yeah, you know, it's a little, a little narrow. Yeah. yeah. Like, I do think humans are too high a price, but, like, that's a little less controversial. Because, like, we already kind of had that with Porpiture, like, mm-hmm. too high a price. But is it too high a price to kill all Yerks, even though only some of them have actually infested sentient species? Right. We really just need to have a Yerk to support the Yerk uprising. Yeah. I mean, the Yerk resistance is really where we it's just at, need to know? make them their own isks. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well it, that's funny because, yeah, so... Acts later when he reveals that he's been acting this whole time. He's like, yeah, of course I'm choosing, you know, these resistant fighters, you know, people who love freedom and hate tyranny, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I just, I don't get the vibe that he's including Aftran in that, right? No. Like, mm-hmm. that's definitely not part of the self Yeah, he doesn't seem to be aware of yeah, that in that's really interesting. Anyway. Yeah. And Estrid's point is not well thought through for a couple of reasons. One is that she's not kind of considering the history of the Andalites and what happens if someone else gets this virus and can manipulate it. But she also says specifically, once we, once it is perfected and we have deployed this weapon, it will make us invulnerable. We'll have absolute power throughout the galaxy mm-hmm. and we can stop all wars. All yeah. Destruction, that sounds like a good thing. Annihilate all enemies of decency and goodness. You're like, well, no, but- so, that's the what the Pemelites did, right? Like, she's basically saying, we'll be the chi, we'll be able to stop people from violence, you know, like, Except we'll the Pemelites didn't. When they got attacked, they died. Like, they did have this weird control of violence on their ships, but that seems weird, like, just, like, a localized No, but, thing? like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, benevolent, complete technological superiority, right? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. guess the Pemelites' fatal flaw was their pacifism or whatever, right? Yeah. Right? But, right, like, technological superiority, fine, but I think what she's implying here is that if, if she's saying we can stop all wars and annihilate all enemies of decency and goodness, it's not, I have created a solution for this one war, in which we destroy a sentient species, the Yerks. Uh-huh. But now we're not fighting this war anymore. This is all wars, which I suspect means, well, the next time anyone rebels against the Andalite Empire, well, we have a solution. Yep. Right? We can stop right. all wars because they are clearly the enemies of decency and goodness. Right. So she has this very naive view. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think 
that's that's the point I was trying to make about the like the technology of it. She's mm-hmm. like, oh well, I can perfect it. I can put like, um, I can shackle the <laughs> technology so that it only targets my yeah. enemies mm-hmm. without thinking through the fact that that's like a choice a person is making, mm-hmm. and that by doing the research, she is creating a tool that can be used indiscriminately. Right. But she also she loves the science of it, mm-hmm. like, and she is. She's blinded by science. It's like, she's like, Axe, you don't understand how beautiful these equations are. Yeah. As if, like, because she has been raised to think that, like, science is good. And, like, she's like, no, but it's good science. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, it doesn't have these other things attached to it. Yeah. 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 And what's really interesting is, so she and Axe have this debate. And they don't resolve it. Because what happens instead is, Arbat comes in and changes the terms of the debate. Because his perspective is that of essentially the head of the CIA who's coming in and saying, okay, listen, the people must be led by the few who are willing to make the very hard choices. Mm -hmm. The people are happy in their ignorance. I just remembered that he's Alaron's brother. Yeah. Yeah. I I had like, I had been thinking about that in terms of assassinating Visitor 3, but not in terms of like, they have some similar flaws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are not necessarily great at this whole like compassion what was their childhood like yeah but that's also i mean that that flaw is also very american Mm, absolutely yeah 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 yeah. and he has this this view that's very understandable and sympathetic in in one way where it's like look at all of the young people these like promising scientists these brilliant minds who are being forced into war and who are being subject to like like having to cause violence and that's legitimately terrible but he's focusing on that cost and not the cost of the loss of an entire species or two that also has individuals who have value like this. Yeah. yeah. And the, I love this as a character moment because there's there's a shade of gray to his evilness. Right. right? Yeah. He's so not like, just twirling his like, like face burner. Because Estrid and Arbat are, are sort of in it together. And then Axe has realized that the four of them are on a suicide mission. And he appeals to Estrid's vanity by being like, no, you don't realize you you will not exist. You don't get uh-huh. any credit mm-hmm. for the science stuff. That's all fake. And then Arbat, instead of basically being like, oh, you know, you believe X, he like, he feels bad enough about it to yeah. confess to her. And then he's he like, like protecting you. Right. So, so he's the fact that he, the fact that he is like, he so genuinely believes that the ends justify the means in this way mm-hmm. makes it even worse, right? Yeah. Like, he's not really a villain. He's just, like, really, really beaten down by wanting the war to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just, Which, he's I mean, just does a terrible, make him a terrible villain. choice. Yeah. yeah. The self-pity of the murderer is how mm-hmm. Axe describes that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And then Arbat is like, the strong must decide, the weak must obey. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> like, maybe yeah. he's yeah. not so... Uh, yeah, the thing That's where Arbat, like, kills Aloth is, like, he was weak. He might have kept us from escaping. Like, I don't know if he had... I mean, I guess they were all on a suicide mission, so, like, maybe he didn't need much of an ulterior motive to do that. But that is just such a, like, such a clear villain moment. Like, you didn't yeah. help your colleague who was still alive, and maybe you could help him get out. It's just, like, very strong signaling. Yeah, and, and they don't say... At least I don't remember him saying that he did that to prevent him from being infested. Yeah, that which is that. the only thing that I I was thinking of as the like the only justification for doing that is your choices are you have a mortally wounded right. comrade you can't get out, 
But if the Yerks infest and heal them, they'll have another Andalite controller. So we might as well just shoot him before that happens. But that's not the justification. The justification is just, I don't know. They would have slowed us down. Yeah. They were weirdly unconscious in this book of the danger of more Andalite controllers, Mm -hmm. such as when Axe decides to leave Arbat in the Yerk pool, and he's like, the Taxons will get him. I'm like, maybe. (laughs) Or maybe you just handed them a pair of brothers. (laughs) Well, right. And he's like... He even, he does, like, he doesn't even realize he's saying this. Like, if he demorphed, he would survive longer without thinking if he demorphed. He'll get infested! Yeah. So, well, the other thing about this moral quandary I want to call out is that, so Arbat takes the prion virus, virus prion, and runs to the Yerk pool and they pursue him and they have this whole dramatic fight Mm -hmm. on the infestation pier. And he, you know, is like ready to dump the thing in the Yerk pool and Axe is the only one who can stop him. So he thinks, and they have this like standoff where Axe is like, oh no, like I can't quite make it in time. And Arbat's about to like dump the virus into the pool and Axe is like, this is wrong. And Arbat's like, this is war. (laughs) And like, to me, that is the ultimate Animorphs moral quandary in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And then Estrid saves the day and shoots the Brian virus out and Arbat's hand out of existence. Yeah. Apparently, laser disintegration is a good way to dispose of a biological weapon. Yeah, that's good, really to, know. good to know. No one's worried about that. But no. Also, no. earlier when Axe is like trying to like get Estrid to give some answers, he's like, "I'll take this unknown test tube and like threaten to open it, even though the biologist is like like really panicking about <laughs> it." Like, this is not a good bluff. <laughs> not know how dangerous this is going to be. <laughs> also, if you have correctly engineered this virus so that it only attacks Yerks and maybe also humans, heck, do you care? Well, may- mm, good point. I, th- I think maybe she is still concerned about getting it so it doesn't kill all humans, because she does seem to be, like, actively working right, but on in that. Terms so of maybe she doesn't want... As a threat to the, to the Andalites. Oh, well, maybe she knows that we get out and kill the humans, and she's like, no, it's not ready. But you're right, that was a sort of an overly alarmed reaction from her. It's not going to yeah. kill the Andalites. Like, it's probably not great to drop a test tube of virus, but you don't need to pretend like it's going to kill you unless you've done this very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a genius. She yes, do that. exactly. Okay, should we talk about her? Should we talk about her and Axe? There's so many different things. What? Her and Axe? Was there anything between them in this book? <laughs> it didn't come up in the summary. <laughs> No, you mentioned he has a crush. He's a it's crush. so good. Oh my it's gosh. Can he we has just such talk about crush. it? I love it so much. Yes. Let's talk about their crush and then let's talk about misogyny. Yes. Those were the two things that I wanted to talk about. Okay. There are more things, but those two. Let's start with the crush. Yeah. He sees her fighting at the beginning. He's like, she's so beautiful. Why should the sight of this single lovely female make me feel so lonely? <laughs> Oh. What a mystery, Axe. One we will never solve and, and that no one can identify all with. All the Animorphs are like, so Axe, buddy, <laughs> I hate to break it to you. I was like, I don't understand this feeling. I can't believe Alphagor never sat him down. It was like, here's how it works, buddy. And then, like, he and Estrid have this, like, flirt fighting scene when they, like, stand off. And she's oh, like, yeah. I'm a good tail fighter. And he's like, I'm also a good tail fighter. And they go, like, tail to tail. Jake rolls his eyes right. at them. <laughs> it's like Jake's grumpy old soul. He's like, okay, okay, okay. I see what's happening here. Can you get this over with? Because I have actual important things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that I could ship axe head, but I guess I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was very cute. Also, then later they morph into humans and press oh their mouth together. <laughs> that whole scene. I think so, 
Can we just read the kiss scene? Yes. Okay. I love defamiliarized kissing. Please, please, <laughs> please. It's so good. It's actually not good in one way, which is when X explains kissing, <laughs> he describes it as requiring a minimum of one mouth, which is horrifying. <laughs> Two individuals with a minimum of a month. Wait, okay. You guys read Axe and Astrin. Okay. Oh, wait. Okay, hold on. Are we going to start from they have another use for mouths? <laughs> yes. Uh, wherever. Hold on. <laughs> First, they have the thing where they blow the raspberries. Because <laughs> it's like, it is called a raspberry. I do not know why. That's legit. I also don't know why. So where should we start from, Greg? Uh, they have another use for mouths, I think. Do you want to be Axe or Astrin? I'll be Astrin. They have another use for mouths, I said. In addition to eating and making mouth sounds? Yes. Would you like to experience it? Is it pleasurable? <laughs> I shrugged my large human shoulders. <laughs> I do not know. I have never performed the action before. It requires two individuals, each possessing a minimum <laughs> of one mouth. Let us experiment. Meant experiment. <laughs> I took Estrid's face in my hands and I pressed my lips against hers. I have no words to describe the sensation. It did not tickle the mouth or cause my lips to tingle. It caused a chaotic flutter in my stomach. Small bumps broke out up and down my arms. I only had one heart now, but it thundered. I pulled away. That was pleasant, but not as pleasant as chocolate. No, but pleasurable, I said. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love I it also so like, much. I can't tell if it's like... She's not that into it, or she just really, really loves chocolate. No judgment either way. <laughs> Do we want to talk a little bit about the genuineness of the Estradax connection? Because they both have motives for, like, yes, um, doing that spy versus spy. Like, oh, uh -huh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and like flirt with the enemy to get mm -hmm. them on my side thing. But I think that it's a, it's a both way crush. Estrid, yeah, I think so. Estrid is sweet on Axe yeah. to the same degree that he's sweet on her. I think so. So I think that there's like this whole thing where she's like, hey, maybe don't tell the like like I think she is she is actually trying to connect with him in a genuine way, and it's not just Yeah, I mean I think she also doesn't want him to tell them, but yeah. Right. I think especially at the end, I think um she wants him to think well of her. Mm -hmm. And I so I really love how this makes the crush genuine, and also he dislikes some things about her and wouldn't choose her as, like, a partner or mm -hmm. even a friend, maybe, but he still has feelings about it. Like, it's such a great, like, complex set of emotions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's such a great thing to present in, like, a book for this age group also, where, like... You might have pants feelings about people. <laughs> might not mean that you're in love with them or should date them. Sure. Right. I mean, not that I think most kids reading this are going to get that message, but it's still kind of great to put yeah, that out there. It's going to put it in there. And the other reason that I think that she's actually into him is because she saves the day in the end. And the reason is because Axe, like, tells her that he doesn't like her. And yeah. so she's acting yeah. out of, like, a, oh, I actually want, like, she just wants to, to vindicate to myself. Yeah. his mind about her. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which is, like... Not the best motivation for a moment of heroism, but it's... Take it, what you can get. Yeah, yeah, no, but yeah. It's, it's kind of realistic. Yeah, right? it feels yeah. very genuine. Do not let them take me alive, even if you do not approve of me, Eximile. That was, that was kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. It's yeah. very cute. The end. Can we talk about the end? When, Which part of... 
the end after when, she leaves or when she's leaving and <laughs> I think this is like so I the end is very great but he he basically says to her I do not like you and then walks away and thinks will they get home safely or will they die in like an hour I don't Aww. care I'm like come on man that's like a little harsh Aww. I care whether Esther he doesn't say, survives. he doesn't say he doesn't care <laughs> he says he walked away and did not look back because you know he made his choice no but then he goes on to say will they escape the like net of Mr. Three's bug fighters I do not know. I walked away and did not look back. Uh-huh. He just, you know, he's being strong. And then Cassie puts her arm around his shoulders. Ooh. It is a human gesture of comfort. You okay, she asked. Why wouldn't he be, Marco said. You heard him. He didn't even like her. Marco, you have, like, your emotional depth is, like, one millimeter deep. Uh, Cassie said nothing, but squeezed me a bit tighter. Cassie is not easily deceived. Because he was lying. And then mm-hmm. what happens? Uh, and then at the end... We walked along the dark streets, my friends and I, my more than friends. We laughed, so relieved to simply be alive. We joked. Cassie held my hand, and in the darkness where no one could see, I cried. Yeah. It's so sad. It's so sad. He, like, he, I think he still, you know, had some issues with her. But also, like, he had real feelings. And this is, like, the one Andalite who's, like come into his life in, you know, probably years. And and he wanted something and didn't get it. Yeah. And yeah, and there are so many, like, he's super self-aware throughout when he's, like, boasting about how cool Andalites are. And he, like, mm. the way that he sees her naivete about humans in Yerks, and he's like, oh, I used to be like that, right? Like, yep. so it's like, yeah. it's like not only, like, is she this cool girl he wants to hang out with it's also like oh but this makes me feel bad about myself too (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's a bad match very self-aware i also i love the the bit right before the bit we were just talking about when she's like so acts like i still like i don't really get it like i don't get what you see in these humans Mm -hmm. like but you gave me this gift of a cinnamon (laughs) is it is this why is this why humans and then acts thinks about all of these like Delightful, delightful moments. And then just sarcastically says, yeah, Estrid, it's about the cinnamon buns. And Estrid, <laughs> obviously, never been exposed to sarcasm. Doesn't, doesn't get this yeah. at all. But it's like, oh, X. See, I thought he was just like, I don't want to bother explaining it to her. I'm going to say this as sincerely as possible. It's about the cinnamon buns. No, I, I mean, my read <laughs> yeah, is, no. is Andalite sarcasm. But you might be right. It could go, it could go that way, too. I do, while we're just talking about this scene, I want to call out how... Okay, maybe Marco's just really dense, but also maybe he just wants to believe that I I, I ship Marco with everyone in this book. <laughs> I have like at least three different uh-huh. things, but yeah, he's like, no, he doesn't. He didn't like that girl. No, no. I had a couple of other thoughts about Estrid. So what Estrid is ready to commit genocide, mm-hmm. but she is still super scandalized and overwhelmed by the Yerk pool. And this is another really realistic thing yeah. about the separation between yeah. people who have, like, the power to create instruments of war and their ability to empathize with what is happening. And it really jumped out to me that, like, she doesn't know she doesn't know what she wants to do. And you kind of get a reflection of that in um, what Aloth was saying about Elfengor. Mm-hmm. Grace nodding. She was also going to say this. <laughs> Where he's like, you know, most of our princes, it seems like all they've ever done is eat grass and, like, you know, learn tail fighting or whatever. Like, they, like, 
they don't really know what they're talking about with war, but like Elfingor, you could tell he had like really lived for like, yeah, we read the Chronicles, yeah, he really we lived. Know. Mm-hmm. And it is perhaps a poor reflection on the Andalite war machine that like there are all these leaders who maybe have Astrid's attitude towards it where they're like being all tough and like gonna commit genocide, but like haven't really come to terms face-to-face with the horrors of war. And they similarly reflect that in the discussions about killing Visser III. Mm-hmm. That, um, I think Ayla says this, but it's he's a sniper, and he mm-hmm. has shot enemies, you know, himself. Yeah. And Arbat is the one who's, in theory, supposed to kill Visser III. And he says it's very different pointing a gun at somebody and actually shooting them than it is theorizing about it. So. Yeah. It's very nice. It's all well and good for you to say that you're going to be the one to take this shot, but it's a lot harder than you think it's going to be. Yeah. And that turns out to maybe be true. It's kind of unclear what happened. I mean, I think that, he but... didn't intend to ever kill Mr. Three, it seems like, because then they would have had to report it to right. Andalite High exactly. Command and their mission would be unmasked or something like that. Yeah. But... Oh, that's interesting. So I wanted to ask about the way that Book 8 comes back again here, right? Because... There's the thing you were saying, like, pointing a gun at somebody is harder. Yeah. And Axe is like, well, yeah, I had that chance to kill Alaran and I didn't back in book and eight. And it seems like yeah. he regrets it. It mm-hmm. seems like he regrets it. But he, but then he has the, he's like, oh, what a relief that I don't have to be the one to explode Fister Three's head right now. Right so, now. This is great where you would be like, come on, buddy, get over it. That's very Take much how I, yeah, I mean, that is very much how I thought. But I also, this, this doesn't come up much. And I, I think it's just, we don't. It, the world building does not extend to the Andalites very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wondered how much of this was also the difference between space-based battle and individual kind of mm-hmm. one-on-one mm-hmm. battle that, you know, maybe Ganrod and Arbat have been in fights before, but it is sort of at a remove. You're yeah. commanding, mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, shoot, shoot the, fire the, fire the missiles and like <laughs> blow up that other spaceship. But it's not a, I am face to face with my enemy and I'm going to take the shot that's going to kill that one person whom I can see as an individual. Um, and that's not explored very much, but I did also feel like I understand, but I also, you have the chance to do this <laughs> thing that's like actually quite important to your overall mission as a species to maybe do that thing. Yeah, I I was wondering. So Axe kind of freezes up in that paddle, which is mm-hmm. un- like he is not inexperienced in this, yeah. you know, one-on-one combat situation or just combat situation. And I wonder if some of it's like he's never had to kill an Andalite before. Like the humans mm-hmm. have, like the animals mm. have had to kill humans before, and like oh, that's so true. in battle, and like they still try not to do it. And it's, I think, it would probably be different killing. Like it's easier to be like this is not a person when it's not your own species, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. In fact, when Axe says that he's relieved that he did not have to take aim, squeeze the shot, watch the viscer's head flame. Yeah, Andalite uh, head. He has literally just walked through the door by killing four humans in cold blood. Did he kill them? Did he they shoot them so. with the shredders. So oh, I probably think so. probably on stun though. Uh, okay. I mean, I think we sh- I think we have to assume. I think he would have objected to like cuz he also tries not to kill humans. Yeah, like, fair enough. Okay. Actually for his friend's sake, but like I'll but take it. There's there's something to the there's something to the fact that it, it's using a gun too. Right? Mm, guns are not very effective in this series. Well, no, but it's also one of the, like, genre things. It's just like a superhero's thing where you're always, like, 
it, it comes down to like a fist fight. And yeah. Like it's personal. And also the Buffy, like these, not useful. <laughs> that somehow makes the violence more okay in a way yeah. that is unrealistic. Yeah. But like, it's still, it's also it's a like thing. It's like somehow that, like, honest. Right. If it's like. Mm-hmm. When the Animorphs yeah. plan to kill Viscer 3, they're going to turn into an animal and rip out his throat. And that will be like really grim, but somehow more okay than if they just stood really far away with like a chi made rail mm-hmm. gun and killed him. Although, you should get Now that you mentioned that. No, so I was thinking... (laughs) The chi don't like to be violent. Can they make weapons? Could you throw a chi really fast as a railgun? Well, Rachel's used one as a bludgeon before, so... Um, No, but going going back to the thing where it seems like these Andalites, maybe not a lot, it seems like he's been in a lot of battles, but at least Gonrod, you know, seems like he's had some cowardice going on. You know, they're, they're not really battle-hardened in the way the Animorphs are. And I think that's a big part of where Jake gets his, like, spine of steel when he's aren't, talking to but, them. Aren't they battle-hardened? Aloth certainly is. No, Aloth is. Yeah. But I think maybe... I think maybe not We were talking about, like, them. this only having battles at a remove as commanders, yeah. maybe. Gunrod ran away from the battle he was in. And Arbat is a spy. Right. So he doesn't He does pretty team. well infiltrating the Yerk pool, though. Yeah. He's anyway, much better. Maybe it's anyway, just maybe it's just against Gonrod then, because I mean Gonrod is the one that Jake is like facing off against, mm. and we get so much about the horrors of war, and it's sort of like a mixed bag of like it is horrible, but also kind of awesome, like what it's done to Jake. Like it's it's damage to him, but it, mm-hmm. it, but it has given him this ability to like stand up and be super cool. I don't know. I'm not really sure if I'm framing that in the right way. No, but it's interesting because I think that's true for all the animorphs that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the horrors of war have materially affected their ability to be children. Yeah. And will continue to do so. I mean, I imagine that the trauma from this is something that they will be facing for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. But it has also given them, in Jake's case, real leadership ability and a spine of steel. And in Rachel's case, a, a strong um, ability to attack the problem face on. Marco and Tobias's tactical abilities have been honed by this battle. And even Cassie's empathy has as well. Mm-hmm. But also her, like, medical uh, <laughs> abilities. Like, she helped tried to help fix that work yeah. um and, and all of them have gained the ability to function in these very difficult yeah. circumstances. You sort of wonder where that would lead them mm. in the future. If they can get been. over the trauma... Right. Yeah. They'd be able to do with those well, skills. Well, and it's... I'm trying to figure this out, because, like, part of the reason it's satisfying is because Jake is so, so, so right, and mm-hmm. the Andalites are so, so, so wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, like, you could imagine if the Animorphs were trying to tell a different story, like, like a, a real Jake versus Toby story, where oh, humans in Horkvadir right. have legitimate conflicting interests, and, like... And Jake just, like, is stomps Jake's on her? spine and, and paranoia going to leave them away from compromise, right? Like, mm-hmm. that could be an interesting thing to explore, too. And it, you could sort of see the flip side of this, like, yeah. cool leader. And but, I mean, Jake know. does have this, like, he works very well with his team. Like, he's not just authoritarian or anything. You know, he has other sides. But we've also seen, like, in, in 23, I think, Tobias was wondering, like, are we attacking this thing to save this baby Horkvajir, or are we attacking this thing because it's a way for Jake to find out where it is and destroy it? Like, right, right. You know, there is that little edge of, like, yeah. Right. But that doesn't come up here because these Andalites are the worst. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome. So the Animorphs really just good. get to be really cool. Yeah. 
So we were going to talk about uh, misogyny. <laughs> that so there, Ted. You were saying that X is very self aware about like Andalite superiority, which is true. But yeah, he's not self aware. Not about at sexism. all self aware about his sexism. Yeah, which I I honestly don't understand, given the fact that he knows Rachel. He has met Rachel ever. Uh, I mean, he seems to have these ideas about Andalite females that maybe don't carry over, or like he doesn't put in the same bucket as his ideas. About human females. Yes. Rachel kicked the bucket over anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I I decided that the subtitle for this book should be misogyny is universal, apparently. (laughs) Um, Because it it starts, I mean, immediately, as soon as he notices that she's a female, it's that's all that he thinks about is what it means to have a female Andalite around and, Mm -hmm. you know, what what latitude she's allowed and how come she gets to be allowed to be in the war. She must be somebody's niece. And he can't boast about beating her in a tail fighting battle because it wouldn't be gracious to boast about beating just a female. But then then he's like bragging to the Animorphs, even our females fight. Right. Exactly. And he, he recognizes like, he doesn't recognize that maybe there's a societal component to this. And he's like, was she simply undertrained? Like, yes, that could be a reflection of the sexism in the society. Or mm-hmm. unsuited to the military because of her gender. That is yeah. just your sexism, X. Yeah. Like, no, not okay. that's not how it works. Yeah. And this was a, something that actually bothered me as a big missed opportunity when you realize that the Analytes aren't who they say they are. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I was kind of I was kind of rooting for Estrid. Just because of the background we got with Aldrea and stuff, it's like, okay, finally they're letting women into the military. Yeah, yeah. Max can be surprised by it, but it's like, you know, they're tr- like they're trying to tell this story. Yeah, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. but th- but then you find out it's like, no, turns out the military is still a guys' club, and they just brought her here because she's a scientist. It just doesn't make sense to me. I- I'm not sure what function it serves in the narrative. This is such a great book, and. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed so much of it, and then every time the misogyny came up, it took me out of the narrative so that I could, you know, briefly lose my mind with anger and then come back <laughs> into the narrative. And I just wasn't sure whether from this we are meant to learn that misogyny is universal or something about the Andalite society or like why why is it here? Yeah, I mean, it do, it's, it's it's been how the Andalite society has been characterized for a while. And in this book, it at least, it does serve a slight narrative purpose of, like, otherwise we'd be more suspicious of what Estrid is doing there. And we can blame, like, her non-militariness on her femaleness. Like, maybe that's, like, a red herring. It's it's a weak reason. I don't think it's a great use of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when you pose the question, my take is, like, it's probably not an intentional message that misogyny is universal. But I think it is a reflection yeah. of putting misogyny in, into the world building of the series in an unquestioning way. Because yeah. you sort of, it's like, in this story, there's no reason why Gonrod or Aloth or Arbat could not also be women in mm-hmm. terms of, like, who their characters are, right? Like, you sort of, if you, like, maybe you decide that Axe is going to be have a crush on a young female Andalite. And so it's sort of, like, significant that this is the first age-appropriate mm-hmm. partner that he would be interested in, right? So, like, maybe there's a reason for Estrid to be female. But there's no reason for the other characters yeah. to be, that Male, can't be female, yeah. right? right? Except for the fact that they've already established this fact mm-hmm. about the universe that mm-hmm. if Gonrod was a woman, Axe would have to, like, comment on it. And, like, you go back a little bit 
Aldrea's whole arc is like, oh, like, I'm the only, like, the Hork Bajir Chronicles is like, we're going to lean into this Not idea. Not like other girls. That misogyny is universal in this way, right? And so they, um, Aldrea's character doubles down on it. But even before that, when you have the Endelite Chronicles, Elfingor and Arbron, that's probably when they made the choice, like, let's just have all the soldiers be men. Because that's just kind of how we think of, like, this group yeah. of soldiers. It'll yeah. be just kind of like a boys club with this kind of, like, macho-ness. And, and we're not really going to yeah. think about it. Yeah, right? I think so, it is intended to call out, or it's intended to paint a certain picture of Andalites as, like, imperialist and a little hypocritical, and the sexism is part of that. But, like, it really didn't have to be. There are a lot of ways to be jerks, and you didn't have to, like, reinforce that, yes, every society, like, the women have to fight for representation. Exactly. And in, in, in Horpager Chronicles, there was this kind of cool thing where, okay, but the women are dominant in the sciences. And here they take that away. Yep. And it just, like, is a more, even closer to, like, human normal, like, very boring. Right. Yeah, women are allowed to be supreme in any of the, like, boys club fields. Exactly. And this book didn't really undermine it. It didn't at It never all. really called it out. This was, the, this was actually the problem that I had. Yeah. Because about halfway through I said, okay, this is, this is a totally new genre for the Animorphs books. It's much more suspenseful than any Animorphs book we've had so far. And I really love it, but I'm withholding judgment mm-hmm. until it definitely was a ruse and you've somehow undermined this misogyny throughout. And the ruse, yes, good job. Yeah. But the misogyny does not get, there's no sense in which Axe has realized that his feelings about women in the army have changed because actually she beat him in a fair fight and is an incredibly brilliant person. It's <laughs> she still... almost beat him in a fair fight. Can't have her actually beat him. Right. Right. And then they have to shoehorn in this thing where like, okay, well, the only reason she's good at it is because her brother is like literally the best. Right. right. But know, she's not anywhere on his level, obviously. Right. She's just pretty good. Right. It was very, very frustrating. Ugh. Yes. I mean, and even his... You know, his final thoughts about her are, uh, you're beautiful, you're brilliant, but I really do not think I like you very much. And the thing is, that as a kind of closing sentiment for their relationship does not in any way rely on her gender. Uh-huh. And so you could have had, if, if, if I went through this book and took out all of the misogyny, every time X thinks to himself, women don't belong here, how the only way she could possibly have gotten in is, is if she was somebody's niece. Because women couldn't possibly get in on their own merit. It must be because she's like Arbat's niece or whatever. If I went through and took all of that out, I do not think you would change the arc of Astrid or the book at all. And yeah, you'd have to. Yeah, I think there's some stuff about her being non-military that you'd have to like deal with in a different way. But you could certainly do that. Like there, you don't have to have the like. Right. And I don't know that this is necessarily in the text, but maybe there's there's kind of like subtextually like a girl who's good at fighting is, like, sexy and appealing in, like, a tropey way, mm. right? So it's, it's like, like, I don't know if that's part of, that's part of what Axe is supposed to find attractive about her, but that's also kind of a bad thing to lead into. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it was not great. And, like, this series that started out with Rachel as the warrior, I feel like they should be more thoughtful about this kind of thing. That's exactly where I, where I came down on it. I mean, the, the first time that he said anything about, well, women can't be warriors, it's like, are you I can't believe there wasn't me? a moment at the end somehow where he, like, learned, like, these books don't tend to do, like, and then I learned my lesson. But, like, teach him his lesson in this one. Come on. Yeah. I don't know. I want Rachel to get uh, Andalite Morph and then kick his butt. <laughs> 
Ra- yes, Rachel but, should get a but, female Andalite morph just so he can be beaten by someone who is uh, biologically an Andalite female. I think that's what you need. But as great as Rachel is, right, the, the Animorphs overall doesn't do a good job of letting, maybe except for maybe Edris and Ava are an exception mm-hmm. to this, but I feel like with our protagonists, like Cassie and Rachel don't get to be the military commanders who have to make the tough calls, right? We've, <laughs> we've talked before a little bit about how, like, on balance, Rachel and Cassie have a lot more of, like, the fluffier, sillier books. Yes. But, and, yeah. like, part of Jake being the leader, he's also, like, the the generic white guy or whatever. So, like, he's that, that of course, is going to be under his umbrella or whatever. But, like, the Jake and Marco books are all about the, like, gritty, hard choices type stuff in a way that the Cassie and Rachel books tend to not be. And I feel like that's, I'm not sure that we have seen, despite Rachel being a strong female character, I'm not sure that mm-hmm. we've seen that, like, women having to be in charge of making the tough choices thing deconstructed mm-hmm. that well. I yeah. guess, like, 29 and Cassie has a little bit Cassie's of had a lot of tough choices. They're mostly individual. She doesn't yeah. make choices for the group. Yeah. And Rachel has had some tough stuff. I mean, the last book when she's <laughs> supposed to be the leader. What book? Like, no, but yes, you're right. That was a travesty. Like, yeah, what was, was that? The worst. Like, that's the closest we've gotten to Rachel being in charge. And it was, it was like somehow so impossible that it was like the worst pile of garbage that's ever been written. She was like, so much better in 37, the real one, the only one that exactly, is canon forever. Ugh. Yeah, but you're right, Ted. I think that like this series has has some good intentions, but hasn't really thought it through. Like, hasn't, I mean, which of us has dismantled all of our internalized sexism? But, like, these books just have a, have a lot of it. Yeah. It's tough. But, like, in this book, it wasn't even subtle. Like, no. this yeah. wasn't subtextual. This was, like, Axe is very sexist. And it never really, like, there's a little bit of, like, I was, you know, I am a genius scientist like, I guess maybe that was supposed to be undermining it, but it didn't really address any of the so. military yeah. stuff, so I don't yeah. know. I found it very frustrating. All right, what other things do we have to talk about? The Yerks were very impressive in this book. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I don't get to check off my V3 <laughs> Makes Bad Plans box. Oh, man, you're right. Okay, well, he did. I still think he made some mistakes. Uh, this plan, Gray, you said in your summary that this plan, like the trap at the newspaper was really good. We've been talking about, like, why don't the Yurks just lay a trap for the Animorphs and kill them? They did the first half. They did the first half very well. They The part where the Horpajir begin to drop, like, hailstones from the ceiling, I was just, like, you know, not actually screaming, but, but sort of. So, doesn't Fissor 3 know now that the Andalite bandits are working with humans? Because, like, Mr. King is a human who they know is, like, like what does Fissor 3 think... The Andalite bandits are doing with their human helpers as a result of this. Does Visser three? Okay, so Visser the trap wasn't Mister King. The trap was let's have the newspaper post a story about the sharing, and then I guess Mister King went to investigate, got caught, and the Animorphs had to show up. Mm-hmm. So did Visser three just think Mister King was one of the Animorphs in Human Morph, or one of the Andalite bandits? You know, in Human Morph. Well, th- but then he's a Nothlet. Well, had it been more than two hours? I would, I would assume. Maybe, oh, I, I mean, know. maybe not. Yeah, no, but. you're right. I don't, I don't really know. Because yeah. it goes from like Visser Three would never. What, what should we do with this guy? Visser Three would never. I can't get into his ear. Oh, as if right. Visser Three isn't there, but he's right there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Oh, are they just lying? 
I don't know. It's just <laughs> they like... assume that... Wow, that's actually yeah, kind of weird. That, that part was very surprising to me. I assume that they're... That maybe those two controllers don't know that, but, like, they then maybe are they dead. Don't, well, yeah, they probably are anyway. Uh, maybe they don't know that because I feel like even if... Like, if you knew Visser 3 was there... You would never even talk about the possibility of not telling him things, even yeah. if even oh, as yeah, like a right, ruse. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't want no, to bring that up. That's a good point. Up. So maybe they just don't know. They might not know. But yeah, it was a really good plan. Except then, uh, the visitor has them in a hallway surrounded by Horikajira controllers, and he's like, "Let's not kill them." <laughs> Shoot them on the lowest setting. No, Visor 3, you always make this mistake. You always should just kill them. You should have listened to Soraya. Should have listened to Soraya. Sorry, happens. she's dead now. The elevator goes ding, and four endolites <laughs> jump, jump out. out. And Visor this... like, more endolites? But I already counted to six. <laughs> the cinematic elevator rescue is a great trope. I love it so much. I sort of want to, because this, like, four endolites have showed up is, like, the premise of the book. I'm, like, by myself totally willing to forgive the deus ex machina nature of, like, <laughs> the animorphs are about to die, but then they get saved! <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, it's always the worst battle when there's someone there to save them. Yeah. <laughs> so, Visitor 3 had a pretty good plan there, and he also, at the end when he's, you know, there's the assassination attempt, he starts morphing something really small, and Axe is like, wow, the Visitor <laughs> has finally realized the value of small morphs. I'm like, yeah, actually, this is pretty good. Like, and so did the animorphs in this book. Because yeah. at the end, they're only able to, you know, show up to rescue because they were small morphs that came in with mm-hmm. Axe. I, was like, I mean, they they have they have done that kind of thing before. They like, have, but sometimes they forget. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like in 36. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did. Everyone did a good job with their small morphs. Mm-hmm. The animorphs were very impressive. One, I do have one critique of Jake. Though, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is the logic in the scene where they meet Estrid in the field. Mm-hmm. And... Axe is like, okay, so here's the deal. We think these Andalites, maybe they're new Andalite controllers. Maybe they're working with Yerk somehow. So we're going to show up to this meeting. Yeah. And then if after like a minute or two, no Yerks have showed up, it's definitely okay <laughs> to reveal to everybody that Jake is a human. <laughs> and yeah, Jake just walks out really and into morphs. And yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Yerks can be like, more than two minutes patient. I mean, like, at least 50-50. <laughs> not much more. Not, yeah. worth, not worth risking the entire ballgame. Right, because right, they they bring up this thing. It might, maybe it was after this scene, I can't remember, where Tobias is like, maybe it's like a group of Yurks who are trying to assassinate the Visser Three and, like, you know, leapfrog in the hierarchy. Like, this would be a weird way for the Yurks to go about it, but, like, if that's even a possibility, like, don't, yeah, don't reveal yourselves. Yeah. Especially because these Andalites could end up being incompetent and, like, get taken over by Yerks themselves. Like, you don't, you don't trust them. So yeah. many options. He might have thought, like, if he thought that it was the fleet coming and he's like, I need to present myself as a human and negotiate with them as a human. Like, that mm-hmm. could have been an important thing for him. And I guess he also might have been like, well, I'm not going to be able to fool these Andalites into thinking I'm an Andalite. Yeah. But he's full, fooled Visitor 3 so far, so... <laughs> I had some Andalite humor moments. Ooh, yes. Axe is, as always, very funny. (laughs) Um, He recognizes sarcasm now. Oh, yeah. He explains to the reader. Using the human tone, I've come to recognize as sarcasm. (laughs) Um, Marco asks him if he is uh, a Vulcan uh, and calls him Spock. And Axe replies, Variations among real alien species tend to involve more than cosmetic variations in ear formation and eyebrow alignment. As I believe you may have noticed. 
<laughs> so funny thing. There are two things I very clearly remembered from this book. One was that line, which I think of every time I think about Star Trek aliens. And the other was Estrid failing to look around with her stock eyes while she typed in the computer password. <laughs> and that being like the giveaway that she's not military. I mean, but also, I know the point that they're trying to make, and I, I don't want to come back to it, but I just, that doesn't make sense. Because they did not evolve stock eyes so as to be better in a military situation. You're right. They Normal and them be- and yeah. should also be looking around all the time with the. There are yeah. prey species. You have them because you can look around all the time, make sure you're not getting. Wait, fun. what do you, how do you move them again, Greg? Like this. <laughs> so that you can see all around you. Like that doesn't, that is a very silly giveaway because I actually, what I thought was that she was in morph as an Andalite. <gasps> Ooh. At that moment, because that there was sense, something. Because at the end, when they're like, "Let's find the human who's secretly an andalite and morph," and it's like the one who keeps looking around because he's not used to just having the one, right? And so, yeah. vice versa, if you were human, you would have all four of your eyes trained on whatever you were looking at, right? So right. I just I was very confused by that. That would be cool. Okay, I love that sense. now. But um, yeah, andalite, andalite humor. Yeah, and then um, so Axe is like actually getting pretty pretty good at this humor thing. <laughs> Weirdly, so there's quite a few times when he uh, makes jokes, possibly we're going to call them jokes. Um, <laughs> we're generous. Human hunters are apparently unaware of the fact that deer are harmless herbivores. <laughs> is that a joke or is that book 28 erasure? <laughs> because there's also a moment at the end when he's like, I love burgers. And I was like, how much are we trying to pretend that book 28 never happened? I mean, it kind of a lot. Maybe what he learned in 28 was he's like using that to make a joke now. Yeah. It was interesting that, uh, so Aeloth seems to have a, a different sense of humor mm-hmm. than Axe does. So I'm wondering if it is that Andalites do not have a sense of humor, or <laughs> Axe does not have a and sense Elfengor. of humor. Axe and Elfengore do not have a sense right. of humor. Aeloth at one point says, uh, this ship does not have enough firepower to stop a broken down Skritna freighter. If a hot bug fighter comes after us, put it this way. If we're attacked, your action station is kissing your tail goodbye. And then he laughed cynically. And I was like, all right, it's not a good joke, but like it's a joke. <laughs> it does and feel like the Andalites we saw in Andalite Chronicles, like the sort of warrior yeah. world culture. The Aeloth perhaps is, is the exception rather than Axe. But Axe I like is how like he's attracted to bug fighters. Yeah. Wait, you see? <laughs> no, no, just the, I assume hot that's not what he meant by the hot bug fighter, but oh. you know. <laughs> Yeah. Axe does not see the humor there. What do you guys think an Andalite curse is? One of the Arbat or Aloth. Oh, like swearing? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Good question. Oh, I don't know. By the Elemist Spear! <laughs> <laughs> but there was a really great Andalite phrase. Oh, yeah. Arbat might now be a professor of technological history, but he was still apex level intelligence. He whipped a big tail at the War Council. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. No, I actually, I have a bunch of like Andalite society notes. Oh, yeah. In addition to the sexism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we learn more about Andalite fur. Did you guys pick up on this? Yeah, it gets more tan as they get older. Oh my goodness, I missed that. Yeah. So he talks about, I I forget which one it was, but he's like, he he has more tan patches of fur on him. And I love, it's like a nice soft retcon as to why Axe is so blue. It's just because he's, it's like baby blue. (laughs) Or maybe Axe now has like a, like a tan, like shock stripe in his hair because the war has like stressed him out. Um, Yeah. So now we know fur gets more tan and hooves get duller. Is that, uh, my father's hooves are getting dull. Right, is that what right. we're doing? That's right. Yeah. Andalites, 
like humans, blinking rapidly is a sign of embarrassment. <laughs> there are some other things. Oh, yeah. Okay. So in terms of Andalite space communism, <laughs> when Axe steals <laughs> snacks from a vending machine, he thinks mm-hmm. humans are very touchy about ownership. <laughs> However, Aloth has been selling organs on the black market. And I'm like, what? what kind of market exists in Andalite society for oh for yeah. organs. Is he trading to Skritna? Like what you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Well it seems like I mean, I was questioning that. I was like, isn't like Andalite medicine seems to be so advanced, I'm surprised that they need that. But I guess the fact that you can get organs off a battlefield is probably advanced medicine anyway. But maybe yeah, do they have a shortage of like artificially generated organs? The cover story for this mission is that the ship that they are flying on um, has gone off to this, like, the Nine-Sifter system or something. Um, what happened to the Anadi well, system? Okay, so, right. So, it's like, what happened to it? Like, it's just... <laughs> it's it's probably a continuity error. Are you saying error. we're not going to find out, Ted? However, no. however, I think I think that the, the Animorphs don't know, but to me, this raises the stakes, because, like, so why isn't the Endlight fleet here? Well... The Nine Sister system is more important. Mm. And we also know the Yurks are about to set up the Anadi system as being more important. Oh, than Earth, man. Right? So it's like doubly bad that the Andalite fleet is off in this one place and they're not even going to, even if they were to turn and come to Earth now, they would get distracted again. Right? Oh, so like it's really, really so bad. True. I also wanted to call out some more. St- so we talked, we've, we've made the comparison a couple times that like this Apex level Intel thing is mm-hmm. like, not very Andalite, but very American. And, like, uh-huh. we have we now know they have the CIA. And we also know that they have this, like, war council. And the Andalite war council has a playbook similar to another species' mm-hmm. top war council that we have seen recently, which is that we will take people who have been accused of horrible crimes, uh-huh. and then we will make them do um, these, like, really dramatic ah. acts of secret service for us, and then... Presumably, we will eliminate them and have plausible deniability. Right, because mm-hmm. that is not actually what's happening here, but that apparently is a reasonable enough cover story that our bat mm-hmm. can sell that as what's happening here. Is that not what's happening? Wait. Well, the the war council... Our bat went totally rogue? Oh, I think so. I think that's what's implied. Oh, no, I thought he I had thought he was... tacit oh, approval. Okay, no, you're probably right. Yeah, it's the, the assassination is not happening. But... The assassination isn't okay. happening, but our bat's mission I is I guess we like... don't find out for sure, but you're right that that's implied. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, right. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. And, like, I, I don't think we have enough evidence to indict yeah. the Andalites as much but as the Council But there probably were but some Andalites who were in on this plan. Like, yeah. Arbat probably didn't go completely rogue. He probably right. has some friends and, you know. And they, they helped him yeah. delete the records whenever. Right. But it just really reminded me of the end of Visser when yeah. it's like, hey, Visser 1 and Visser 3, so you guys deserve to die. But instead, you get one last chance to do us a solid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's a really good point. I have another Andalite Society thing that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys know what the name of their ship is? The Crusader. It's not. It's the Raylac River. Oh, it's a Crusader-type ship. No, That's right. but she has. they have changed the name. The actual name of their ship is Ralac Raylac River. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But, when, but as part of their cover story, they have designated the ship the Crusader. They've changed huh. the name of the ship mm-hmm. from named after some river to the Crusader. Which they have two saints. A couple of questions. <laughs> yeah. Like, was there an Andalite equivalent of uh, Crusades between, like, I don't know, 
two flavors of mystics? Like, what does that word mean? And why would you use that to describe this particular mission? Did the Crusades, did that term specifically mean the Christians trying to take over the Middle East? Or is it like a more generic term that just got applied to that? And it could mean more like any kind of like battle mission. It's a really good point. I am reasonably certain that it it like originated there but became metaphorical it yeah so it technically the etymology is it's a war fought under the sign of the cross cruce oh okay yeah no that's so weird i suspect that it was only ever it it has only ever referred to the crusades Mm -hmm. as the and now we use it as like oh i was on a crusade to do this right you're on a religious mission to do a thing so there's always an interesting question in um, any story where they should be speaking a different language of like, you know, every single word they're using has an etymology that doesn't make sense in their culture. It only makes sense in our culture. But right. some words pop out to us more as like being like that. It's like, well, is it just like a continuum? Mm-hmm. Is it like we notice these words, but really like there's no point in calling any of them out because they aren't speaking English anyway? Yeah. Like, is this just a very poor translation of the, yeah. you know, the word? Universal yeah. thought. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just but, wondering what that word might mean. No, I think like. you're onto something that it has the connotation of, like, we're doing... Uh, holy war. Yeah, or not even holy war, but it's like, like we're this is, this is the most... We're flying the Andalite flag while we do this, mm, right? Like, that's what yeah. it means. It's like, we have taken a mission from the apex level of Andalite society, and we're going to go and do some more genocide, because ultimately that's where we want to... That's where we oh, be. Yeah, it's also super possible that this is just a continuity error because uh, Astrid says the ship is designated the Crusader italics to show that it's the title mm-hmm. of the ship. And then like six chapters later, it's they're all killed aboard the Raylac River. And then that's how they that's Describe what they the talk end. Uh, yeah, the ship as yeah. for the rest of the book and I was so I was like oh they they like changed the name well, for this okay. mission so it could also, be that it's like a crusader right. class ship so it's like it's like the it's the not that's also she weird, tells she because t- the sentence is the ship is designated the crusader italics it's an MSTL oh, 37 a mobile science and technology got it, got it, got it, got it. so anyway it's just it was a weird it's it's probably just continuity error but I particularly wanted to bring that up yeah that's weird. really interesting I have a question yeah. for you guys. What is it about Andalite was things? Astrid's mother's profession? <gasps> Morph dancer! Morph dancer! <laughs> so Better than cloud artist. I, I was going to ask, which would you choose to be? A morph dancer a morph dancer? Or a dancer? Artist? There's no question. I don't know. You get to do cloud art. No, right. so cool. <laughs> That's fine. I don't even think we need to rule on this girl. <laughs> no. More morph dancing for us. <laughs> Great points. Morph dancer. Okay, I mean, I'm not saying I would say no to being a morph dancer. But part of that means that, like, I don't know, it passes down somehow. So she, so Esther can morph clothes. But also it seems like she was trained by her mother. I think yeah. it's the more training. Also, I think Esther is a genius. And so her brother is the best fighter. She's really good at fighting. Her, yeah. her mom's the best morpher. She's yeah, this really good family, at wow. Right. She yeah. just, she's around these high-powered people and she's a good learner. Yeah. Right. Totally makes sense. You guys, Cassie could learn how to do this. She could become a morph dancer. Well, this is what I love. So Estrid's in a stream. Uh-huh. Her morph into human is hilariously weird. So gross. Um, but but when Axe, I think, is confirming our theories, he's he's a fan of our, our headcanon about morphing. Because uh-huh. he's like, oh, yeah, morphing improves with concentration. Right? Mm-hmm. Like He's not saying some people stream, some people can't. Mm-hmm. He's just saying it's so hard to do what streams do. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. So good. Morph dancing. Does sound amazing. It does. 
Um, I have one other Andalite society thing, mm-hmm. which is we know that the Andalites located Axe because of ah, his DNA signature. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, well, why couldn't you just locate Visser 3 using the same thing? And he's like, oh, well, Alarin, you know, left. He was infested before we invented DNA encryption. Yeah. It was before we used DNA encryption. I don't, like, but probably, yeah. So it hadn't been invented. What kind of, like, horrifying Andalite panopticon do they live in where <laughs> every Andalite, at least every Andalite military officer yep, has their yep. DNA on file and can be located It's horrifying. At any yeah. Time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's, like, super casually revealed. And I guess Axe isn't scandalized about it, so you're right. Maybe he was familiar with the idea at the time. But, like, this has a lot of terrifying implications for Andalite society. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. It's real disturbing. I also have a question about time lapse uh, in these books, because in theory, we know that Arbat and Alarin are brothers. Yeah. So we are like a generation, maybe two, if they have small generations, from Mm -hmm. the beginning of the Yerk War. Uh Uh-huh. But Arbat has been in six wars. Whoa. Oh yeah, that's a weird custom oh, here. Which what what other what wars other they had? wars were you in? Because it seemed like Alarin was relatively young when he was serving under Ciro. Yeah, like he yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he and wasn't like a grizzled old. Pilot. Yeah, I want to like I want to sort of read that as six campaigns, but six wars is a weird is a weird thing. To yeah, say. and yeah. I I should actually clarify. So it's he's been retired for the last six wars. So his he's war stories brother. are from six wars before what? the current war. And so he's retired and now is a teacher because and has missed the last six wars. And I was like, No, that just doesn't track. That doesn't I make don't any understand. Sense. Unless, or unless it's like, wait, are we saying there's a timeline issue in these books? <laughs> or it's like they're one of a family of like fifteen siblings, <laughs> and Arbat's one of the oldest, and Alan's one of the youngest. And they would have to be pretty old because really long. Now like, there was this thing in Andalite Chronicles, like now that this war is happening, my family got permission to have two children. Hmm. Oh yeah. So. That's Unless so they're very weird. old, very yeah. odd. Also, I it was it's definitely another instance of the thing where like everyone in these books is related to someone, uh-huh. yeah, significant. <laughs> okay, so can we talk about Alarin having his brother come to oh, kill him, oh and God. then realizing that his brother is like going to make the same mistake that he did? Did he realize? Like, did the Yerks know about this virus? The virus. Thing. It didn't seem like they uh, did. I guess Visser Three wasn't around at the end, or he was. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Oh, right, because they say, like, Visser 3 wasn't around to give me Right, order. exactly. So he Alan probably there. never realizes. And I don't yeah. think any of the Yerks, they're like, oh, the, the Andalite Bandits are running through the Yerk pool. No, no, no. Like, I, I, I was think thinking that Visser yeah. 3 was there, but he wasn't. I might be thinking about the end it's of a book that It's probably good that Alan doesn't realize. No, but it's really awful when he, at the beginning, when they're fighting, and Visser 3 uses Alarin's memories of his brother to mock him in the middle of the battle. Mm-hmm. And so he says something about, you would never, uh, you, you can never see that one coming. That's what comes of thinking too much until fighting too little, Visser 3 yeah. says. Yeah. And it's like... Oh, that's so uh, mean! Like you haven't you you haven't seen your brother in person for all this time, and that's yeah. the first thing. Like, ugh, it's so awful. This book does not start with my name is X. I know. Wait, oh, does he ever say it? Oh, he does. If you, okay. Good. If you like, like why are you getting rid of your like classic opening? Why are you messing with it? Stop it. 
I do, while we're ta- still talking about Andalite stuff, I just, I just want to call out, I know we mentioned it, but this really wonderful moment, Rachel and Cassie went to the mall to buy Estrid a cinnamon bun. Yeah. I gave it to her as a going away present, told her to enjoy it on the long trip home to Andalite space. <laughs> I'm just imagining her, like, eating a little, like, morphing human, like, every day and eating oh. a little bit of the cinnamon bun every day. I hope she he has, loves like, a me. container. He loves me not. Oh, no. One bite at a time. Why didn't he not give her a giant bag of jelly beans? Or a tray of cinnamon buns. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long trip well, back. Well, he wants, he wants her to love what he loves about the humans. It's like, you know, you want your friends to, like, watch the TV shows you love or yes, whatever. but it's, you also yeah. want them to have the things that they like, too. That would be ideal, yes. Giant bag of jelly beans. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, Maybe that, she could have bought herself that. That reminds me of another moral quandary that comes up briefly. and never really develops into a theme, but Axe is like reflecting on how he has human morph, and he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I got permission from my friends, and oh, you yeah. think it's like kind of bad to like get people's DNA without their permission, and then they run into Estrid, mm-hmm. who has morphed this like random mall girl to eat jelly beans. And it's I like mean, she's a, also potentially going to kill all humans. So no, I know, but it's like it's. I thought it was kind of like nice foreshadowing. Like, oh yeah, these Andalites—they're not really taking yeah. humans yeah. that seriously. Yeah, it's true. So another reason to believe that I mean, she obviously is an Andalite, but like that Estrid is like secretly not an Andalite. Okay, what have the Yurks we've met been named? Let's see. We have uh, Esplin. We have Edris. We have Essam. And then we meet an Estrid. And it's like. She's not a Yurk? What is that? Good point. Also, Aftran sort of has an Andalite name. Whoa. Starts with an A. Yeah. So when um, when Arbat was in the Yurk pool, there's this thing like, oh, we don't know who he's morphed. And then they figure out, which is kind of cool, that like, oh, he keeps looking around. And that's an Andalite thing because he's not used to having just two eyes. And he's this like, I think Axe describes him as... He is a middle-aged, lightly colored male human, which I do love as, love like, too, yeah. you know, the defamiliarization. But also, I'm a little annoyed by how these books use human morphs as, like, like they never do interesting combinations of, like, who the person is and what their manifestation is as a human morph. Mm. Like, Astrid morphs a girl of, like, an equivalent age to what she is as an Andalite. Arbat presumably didn't have a lot of choice of who to morph, but like if you're like, oh yes, a high-ranking intelligence officer, he's gonna be like an oldish white dude, and that's what he is. Like, yeah, it's really, really a, sort of a boring use, or like maybe they're trying to not confuse people. But I feel like it would be more interesting if you played with. Yeah. It would be very funny if you yeah. morphed. What's her name? Karen, the six-year-old. <laughs> yes, but no, then but- it might be more horrifying to let him die, and that yeah. would be interesting. Or like how um, I think you're right that it's just it's like a it's like a shortcut. Yeah. Right. How Edris is always like we never see her in a host body that isn't a woman. Right. And like I mean, there's sort of a nod to like, oh yeah, she was Laura David Altman like very briefly. But like that was never her primary host body. And it's this idea of like identity. Like ironically, in this these books where physical form is so changeable and sometimes doesn't even belong to you because you're like investing something, right. it's mm-hmm. somehow still fundamental. Right. It's weird. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, it's the it's the flip side of the, like, every alien they meet is human. It's the same reason why the, like, misogyny gets universalized, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. human it's identity problems yeah. are universal identity problems yeah. and preferences. Ooh, yes. I wanted to say something that's kind of related to that about the kissing scene. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was, I was reading, I was like, this is delightful, first of all. It also feels a little bit like a cheat, like... Okay, we have these Andalites who have a crush on each other. 
and we want them to show it. And okay, they're going to morph human and kiss in human form, and this is how they're going to show yeah. it? But I also think that that kind of cheat, like, it's a little bit of a narrative cheat in order to make it more relatable, but it's also incredibly, like, understandable yeah. that these two, like, young people, they're still kids, be like, oh, I have a crush and I really want to show it, but, like, it would be way too much to, like, do something in the Andalite way, but oh, we're human, so it doesn't really count as much. It's like, do you want to just try this weird thing humans do? Like, I could totally imagine, like, yeah. human teenagers, like, an Andalite morphs being like, do you know what Andalites do? They they put their hands on other people's faces. We should just try that for fun, just to see what it's uh-huh. like. Yeah, <laughs> and it's right. just this, like, you're plausible right. deniability thing. That's a really good point. <laughs> it was adorable. Um, I did ship Marco with everybody, even though he's barely in this book. So were there other moments? <laughs> was it? Did you ship him with Mr. King when they were disguised together under a parked car hologram? <laughs> I, I did not. Although I do think it's funny. This is one of my random things that they keep referring to him as Mr. King because he's like I don't know an adult and so much older than them. Unlike Eric, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotta just you know keep that respectful uh, form of address. Well, there's a there's a thing where Marco said, hey, who just crawled over my back? Sorry, Cassie said, lousy visibility. And I was like, oh, I ship it. <laughs> Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. They're that's cockroaches. Just, that's just because I ship them already. really high-hanging fruit. <laughs> I have a good reach. Also, also, he hits on Rachel, and Rachel seems to take it well. But, like, I don't really ship them. So, I don't, What do you think of Marco's plan to become a sexy beach boy? So that he can hook up with ladies now that he's quit the animals. I think that it is, you know, understandable that that would be the way he'd make a caricature of himself. Exactly what I expect from Marco. Yeah. I ship Marco with the story when he waltzes into the room with Axe and Astrid <laughs> yes! at the end. And it's just like, oh, hey, Axe man, <laughs> by the way, this ship is crawling with the animals. I was like... Yes, yes, this is my favorite moment of all time. I it love the Animorphs so much. So good. I love them very, very much. Yeah, it's just okay. so like actually I just wanna just like rant briefly about how good the structure of this book was, right? Mm-hmm. So like we've mm-hmm. we've talked about this, but I just want to say it again. It's like it's so exciting to get this like long con of like, oh the Animorphs are all doing this plan that the reader doesn't get to see. And like it's a really good use of Axe's character because he has this, like, Andalite aloofness uh-huh. that allows it to sort of be more... It feels more in character that he's not giving the reader a lot of clues about what the plan is, right? Yeah. So it's like a really, yeah. like, slow reveal that this is all going on. And it it all builds to this, like, this reveal at the end that the Anorphs were in on it all along and they have a plan and they're, you know, the cavalry's here to save the mm-hmm. day. And it's just, like, super, super, super satisfying throughout. And it, mm-hmm. it has all of the, like, tropes of a good mystery story in that way where it's like oh you know you think that axe is like you know he's he's lost his friends and he's dealing with the andalites and oh man but this isn't everything he expected it to be it's really bad no no it's really really bad and he hacks into the computer and he he goes to esther and he's like okay i'm gonna confront you i found you in your like secret lab right and then he gets trapped it's like all these things and i guess maybe it's even more like i mean it's like a heist movie right you realize Mm -hmm. that this was the plan all along and here they come it's so good I do think when that scene where they have the original fight in the barn and they all split up, quote unquote, there's there are a few lines that like make it sound like Axe actually thinks this mm-hmm. is real, like he's having actual surprised reactions to stuff. And I feel like that's a little sloppy. Like you should be able to read that chapter later and be like, oh, he totally knew the whole time. And it kind of reads like he doesn't know. Yeah. 
So that was a, they could have done a little better there, but but the, that ending where Axe and Astrid are trapped in this cage of laser cage, Marco walks calmly into view and says, "Hey, Axe man, you're looking slightly trapped." It's like, oh, it's so good. Uh, it's just like the Marco at his best. Yeah. This place is crawling with animorphs. There's, Literally. There's also like the um, the epicness of the ending at the York Pool is also great, right? Mm-hmm. So you have uh, Tobias goes to fetch Gonrod and has him burn a hole through a McDonald's into the earth pool. <laughs> and they just, like, fly down, lift all the Animorphs out, right? Yes. And then it's like, it reminded me of the ending of The Lion King, where, like, Arbat's there bleeding, like, surrounded by taxon. It's like, Scar, <laughs> he's going to get no, eaten by hyenas. Friends. right? I wasn't like, going to kill you all. Oh, no. It's great. It's so good. Wait, so I have a question. How old was Astrid's human morph? 16? Uh, I mean, do you do you guys remember? It was very specific. No, was it? I just remember like. I mean, it was like the age of. Oh, the, the age of Cassie is that? It what was it? The... Cassie's age, huh. which is the same what? as everyone's age, right? Is Cassie, a different. <laughs> she's not a different age. They're all the same age. What does this mean? So, yeah. Fascinating. Now I'm imagining. I mean, this is terrible because she's with Jake, but like I'm imagining Cassie <laughs> as being like. You know, like nine years old, and she's like this, like know it all. You know, like animal. She nerd. would be the most genius nine year old in the world. Right, right, wow. Right. It's like, like if one of Rachel's younger sisters was an animal instead of Cassie, <laughs> right? Actually, animals. Blah 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 blah. So Jeremy and I were texting about this book, and I was like, "What is this line?" And he's like, "Okay, so Axe has a very precise time sense." Maybe you can also judge people's ages incredibly well. Oh, and it's just so that, good. like, this girl that's is so closest to Cassie's age. Yeah, okay. That makes, it, that makes it better. Done. In which case, I'm a little disappointed that he didn't say that our bat had morphed, like, uh, light-colored, you know, 54- and three-month-old human. Right, right, right. <laughs> sure. Maybe he just knew that Jacob Chapman's understand age. it. Yeah, exactly Chapman's age. <laughs> One moment that I really love. So when they are, again, in, in the Yerkbull scene at the end, Axe is kind of like, he's with Estrid for a bit, and the other Animorphs are kind of fighting in the background, which often happens. And mm-hmm. Jake is kind of like, Axe is like, I want to save my friends. And Jake is like, no, Axe, you have to go after Arbat. And like Axe is like, okay, I will take the order. But what he's doing is he's leaving Jake and Marco and Rachel and Cassie like on their last legs, mm-hmm. like back to a cage full of um, involuntary hosts, mm-hmm. and they're like fighting off the Horkbajir, and then it describes how no one can get a clean shot to the the Animorphs' backs because all the involuntary hosts have lined up and made like a human shield against the wall of the cage. And it's this like, and it's one of the things that Axe thinks about at the end with Estrid, where he's like, this is why I love humanity. And it's such a nice moment it's from these so anonymous good. anonymous humans. Because, yeah. like, the Animorphs are so alone in their fight, but they're also not. Like, they... Yeah, yeah. And, the, and, like, presumably the hosts know that the Andalite bandits are out there, oh, yeah. right? So it's, like, a little bit of this, like, yeah. the Animorphs are kind of keeping hope alive for everybody. Yeah! You know, right? Like, it yeah. must be terrible to be Tom still, But, like, you're, like, there, there is some resistance out there. Yeah. That must help a ton, because if you're, like, the Yurks are infiltrating human society, and no one knows, and no one is doing anything to stop them, but there's this group of Andalites who are stopping them. These books have a wonderfully nuanced sense of humanity, Mm -hmm. because there are times Mm -hmm. when you get these uncomplicated good moments. Yeah. These humans are forming a human shield between the Andalites and the Yurks, but then there's also voluntary controllers, and... 
it's a really nuanced way to examine what people are really like. I only had one 90s reference. I might have missed some. But uh, I think it's Rachel says, what's the problem, Marco? Missing the Rugrats marathon? Uh, Probably. That was good. I think that that was the only one I had. So, Ted, am I allowed to help predict 39 because I don't remember what happens at all? Yes. Amazing. I'm so excited. With the caveat that if there's something on, like, the inside cover or the cut text that... That makes me remember. I will will trust you to stop talking if if you remember anything. I will just stop talking. But I think you guys should predict it together. Okay. Shall we? Ah. Ah. What? What the... I I love it. It's my favorite thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Cassie's stance is really... Yeah. Cassie's power power pose is really good. (laughs) Also, I like her outfit very much. But yeah. also, I hate also, this more. Is Cassie so good at morphing she can morph vests? <laughs> okay. This is the one where Cassie morphs vests. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Oh, wait, I'm. We need at the to describe. Cover. We haven't even described the cover. <laughs> oh yeah, um, it's Cassie, and she's morphing into a musk ox. What's the title? Sure. The hidden. It's to morph or not to morph. That is the question. And okay, so I'm going to go update. based on the power pose. Okay, great. I think that Cassie is being sent to some sort of, like, conference, like a business conference, but, like, for teenagers, okay. where she learns how to, like, you know, channel her inner power. And, of course, this is her difficult. Her hidden power? Her hidden power. Uh, there you go. No. Um, and there's a question of, like, maybe they can use this to spread the word of the Yerks to all the other young leaders of America. Your but predictions are so wrong. much more specific than mine. <laughs> I love it. Predict all of them. Well, um, that's because I don't care about being accurate. Where is the morph coming? Uh, well, it turns out that the Yerks are trying to use the conference for the same thing. Mm. And, um... <laughs> yes. I can't figure out why she would eat. What is it? That was the, so well, good. Is the, it a muscat? Just like confidently <laughs> stalling until you have to commit to something and completely failing. So good. Yeah, it turned out I hadn't thought of why she needed this. this You're like, animal. obviously, because the Yorks have to say, oh boy, oh no. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense only because the, you know, the cut text is to morph or not to morph. So she has right. to decide. Right. I'm not sure where the muscox comes Maybe in. Maybe it's an intergalactic morphing conference. <laughs> It's like the conference is about morphing. <gasps> Cassie gets She's sent the to a keynote morphing speaker. <laughs> but if she morphs in front of them, they'll know she's Morphing's human and not Angelite. Moral philosopher <laughs> giving a lecture. In the guise how of you should steal DNA. Uh, yeah. It's it's all about like whether it's moral to morph uh, other animals. Like yeah. animals, like how sentient are the animals? Why an ox? Well, an ox, um, because uh, the uh, the conference is taking place next to a river, and the Yerks are are invading the conference by hiding their submarine in the river, um, and it's freshwater, so she can't be a uh, shark, so she's going to, like, trample. The, it's, I, I'm thinking it's a water buffalo. Is it, it's probably not a water buffalo. Oh, I don't know the be difference between buffalo. any of these things. She's going to trample the sub in water buffalo morph it is a water in the buffalo. river. Oh, okay. That's probably something I remembered. Do you want to look at the inside cover and see? I if want to look at the prediction? inside cover. <laughs> I mean, I think also Gray should make a prediction because no, my no. prediction is so. Gray, you ridiculous. can start the prediction after seeing the inside. Why cover. is there a water buffalo? <gasps> it's in a truck, and what's at what's at its feet, Gray? It's the Escafil device. Oh my gosh! 
Yeah, this doesn't match my prediction at all. It Clearly, I didn't remember doesn't. the uh, intergalactic morphing conference. <laughs> I think that the thing that is hidden is the Escafil device. Oh, not very well, apparently. No, not very well. <laughs> so they're going to have to protect the Escafil device from the controllers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by turning into water buffalo. does that by turning into a water buffalo. Why does she need to be a water buffalo to protect it from controllers? Because... Uh, it was hidden in the pump, so maybe there's a water-related <laughs> so it's very thing. Damp. <laughs> I don't That's have amazing. any idea why she would need a water buffalo. Man, why a water buffalo? These are all great predictions. <laughs> Jenny, nothing? Oh, um... The inside cover didn't... Well, it really it blew all of my predictions out of the water, so... Okay. Out of the water buffalo. Um, I Let's see. They need to safely transport the Escafil device... And they do it via a um, a livestock moving company. <laughs> no, why would you need a water buffalo? <laughs> I don't know either, but I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I'm very excited. Yeah, this is the one I'm that I incredibly excited. I don't remember at all, and Ted is very entertained for me to find out what happens. I can't I, wait. Yeah, I, I would like to closely monitor Jenny's experience of rereading this book. I will text you. And remembering what it is about. It's really going to be great. I'm excited. All right. um, Tell us about your review of this book, of 38. Yeah. So 38 is very tragically the last Animorphs book that I reviewed. At least in these printed out reviews. Do you think that says something about your reaction to book 39? I don't think so. I think it says something about when I printed out this thing that I put in a cloth-covered binder oh, that I right. made myself. In so do you think there grade. were typed reviews I that did not I think maybe there it? were. Yeah. I do have a floppy disk that I think, <gasps> I might be wrong, contains my high school diary. So maybe I will find further reviews. But 38 is the last review that I have printed out. And this one is wonderful. With six exclamation points. Oh, no. It's too many. It's too many? I think it was too many. I think maybe I was just really relieved after 37. That's that's fair. Fair. Yeah. And also, I was very relieved because I totally bought the conceit in the middle. So I was just, whew. <laughs> I say, this was such an incredible book. I must admit that I was very discouraged in the middle because I thought that the Animorphs had broken up. Ninth grade Jenny couldn't see through the ruse. But that only made it better when I found them all banded together on the Andalite ship, not really the lazy slobs they'd appeared earlier. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I was harsh. Ninth grade me was harsh. Uh, it was really cool to see Axe finally meet his match. Questionable. And I especially liked the scene where they kissed. The only drawback to this book is that it's really confusing. And I've read it three times, and I'm still not certain of exactly what happened. Which also leads to the question of, I read this three times, I remembered, like, nothing about this book. It's a little <laughs> little worrying. But remember, Jenny, that's probably, like, two and a half hours of your life. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But I do know that it is one of the best Animorphs books I've ever read, and that's all of them. Okay, but what? It is not. It's just a little recency bias. There's reasons. That's fair. Also, maybe at the time it was, like, top ten. Maybe, yeah. It's certainly the most extended kissing that there's ever been in an Animorphs book. That's true. Maybe that's what won me over. The ending is both very happy because they're all back together and very sad because Estrid had to leave and Axe obviously did like her, contrary to what he said. I'm glad I could see through that rose as a ninth grader. Another thing I liked about this book is what it says of the human nature. The Animorphs coming together to stick by Axe, the human hosts protecting the Animorphs from the Yerkes Dracon beams, Axe's declaration to Estrid that the humans are his people. The end. 
Aww. Yeah. You know, themes. yeah, it's, I don't remember liking it that much. It, I must have, like, just read it when I wrote that or something. I, I like know. it. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't, like, one of the ones I was even looking forward to in the 30s, but it was good. Yeah. It's nice that the series can surprise us, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a couple more They'll probably these. all be this good, right? <laughs> right, Ted? Right? <laughs> Very worried. I can promise that 39 is going to be a great discussion. <laughs> I'm very intrigued. It is one of my favorite Animorphs books. This is worrying. Very concerned. (laughs) I know, right? If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. No one ever looks under a water buffalo. No one ever looks under a water buffalo.